Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Morning all, text 0868104106. And that's why The Independent this morning says, after the downpours, temperatures are set to rise. Uh, and today, 22, 23 degrees. Uh, you know, it was a bit of a mixed bag of weekend uh, weather, but it didn't deter people turning out for Cork Pride. The Echo this morning says it was utterly amazing. The Cork Pride Parade with thousands taken to the streets of Cork over the weekend, decked out in rainbow colour. Pride culminated in its flagship parade and a party event on Sunday. And I was chatting to Colm there just on the handover at nine o'clock. He was doing a lot of work over the weekend. He said it was an incredible uh, and a wonderful experience as people get out and show their support uh, for the ever-changing world that we live in. And I'm interested to see an article by uh, the great actress and comedian Dawn French making the mail today, who said that women came very close to equality, but then they, uh, well, I'm going to use the word, messed it up by becoming and turning into Jessica Rabbits. She said women have turned into Jessica Rabbits. Of course, that was the animated character from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Roger Wabbit, for those of you that may not uh, know the cartoon movie. It's a good movie. She compares that character to the current trend for big lips, Kardashian shapes, um, and uh, a, a, a constant tan. She says that she feels for her daughter and girls growing up today who feel the pressure to achieve an impossible version of physical perfection. And she says, I can't entirely love perfect people. I can't understand why people only want to be and show us perfection. She prefers flawed people. And she's right in that regard because we all are flawed and there's nothing wrong with being flawed. She says women now and girls feel like they've got to have big lips, they've got to be orange, and they've got to have big lashes all of the time. An interesting article from the Mail. Your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106. Front of the Echo today talks of the uh, uh, planning for the re- redevelopment of the South Docks. Planning's been granted, well, at least conditional planning permission. Uh, and the work that will go on down there with the Callan properties and the likes will be just extraordinary. The amount of uh, rehabilitation and building and construction uh, for the Dockland area, including uh, a hospital amongst a lot of other things. You'll be looking at lots of different buildings. That will also include, say, for instance, the conversion of the Long Idle Odlums building. Um, there's lots planned down there. And, and I suppose not before time, if you like. Very tragic story that lads were telling me about at the weekend is picked up in the mirror this morning of an elderly man, much loved by the name of Liam Dyer, who died following a fall from his mobility scooter. He'd just gone to Mass, man in his 80s, and was going down Cork Street Sunday when the incident happened. And our thoughts are with his uh, family and his friend. They describe him as a popular, quiet, lovely man. Everyone down in Kinsale is devastated. Do you know how many things um, are in fact affected by inflation and cost of living? But one thing, I mean, you can fight for your rights in the employment market. You can have a union fighting for you. But who's fighting for people on a pension or people on the dole or on social welfare? Nobody, because their payments are not linked in any way to insulate them against inflation or cost of living increases. But it could well change, as a headline in The Independent this morning, that pension and dole will be linked uh, to wages and indeed issues like 
they'll rise when inflation rises. Um, and then when you talk of money, it's an interesting one in the Independent at the weekend, something that we dealt with on the air with regards to the AIB um, and them reversing ultimately because of people power reversing their plan to, um, you know, ditch many branches and get rid of ATM machines. Uh, the Independent says, or at least Charlie Weston did at the weekend, that the banks use sneaky tactics to drive us away from bank branches. I'll come back to this a little later on this morning, uh, but it just goes to show uh, all of this is to deny people access to cash and indeed just to deny people access. And the way that Charlie Weston says the banks do it is they um, uh, they force people to use digital platforms instead of cash and they do it by not answering phones, understaffing branches so that there are long queues and people get fed up, failing to quickly repair broken ATM machines a sneaky way of getting people to change instead to online banking. So it's a deliberate policy to move people away from cash payments and bricks and mortar payments. So more on that uh, a little later on. Your thoughts are welcome. Uh, If you're wondering why hotels flipped to taking in refugees and not tourists, there was an example of it yesterday and it's picked up by the mail this morning how bed and breakfasts and hotels uh, got 100 million euro to house refugees. And one of the biggest payouts was actually in Yall, where the quality hotel in Yall uh, got a payment. I don't know whether the whole thing's been paid up, but the whole package that they'll get from the state amounts to 12 and a half million euro for the quality hotel in your uh, for refugee accommodation 12 and a half million the Trabulgan holiday center got 4.4 million just over 4.4 million and there were some of the bigger payments i think that the i, I can say that the quality hotel in your was the biggest payout of 12 and a half million the closest to it then was a dublin payout of eight and a half so it's a front pager making the mail today as we struggle to find accommodation for 50,000 refugees fleeing the ukraine a hundred million has been given to bed and breakfasts and hotels. Who could turn down that kind of money? I mean, it's guaranteed income. Uh, I mean, it might be very frustrating for people who want to get into a hotel. And the Ironman is in you all this coming weekend. God knows what they're going to do. Uh, you know the issue regarding um, Sabina Higgins and indeed the president that continues to dominate the front page of the uh, broadsheets. The Irish Times this morning uh, talks about the pressure on the president to clarify his stance on his wife's letter that first appeared uh, on the president's website. It was a letter that she wrote to the Irish Times saying that there needs to be some kind of ceasefire, some sort of negotiation in Ukraine. I would have thought that the woman was entitled to her opinion, but apparently she's getting all sorts of grief for opening her mouth or putting pen to paper. And then you have the Sinn Féin TD in the mirror this morning. Well, we'll see if Sinn Féin make a different if and when they're in government. But one of their TDs says that even though she's on 87,200 258 euro. She cannot save uh, for a house deposit and has moved back in with her parents. Um, And I know that many people want to forget everything and anything to do with COVID-19, even though uh, you probably have noticed an awful lot more people coming down with it of late. Um, um, Also, let us not forget, long COVID is an issue. And I was talking with um, uh, a person on the air last week um, and one of my conversations with her had specifically to do with issues involving um, Bus Connect. But I had, when I was chatting with her, she said, 
spoke to some months ago about long COVID. Apparently, she can only get up for a few hours a day, even these days, is still absolutely, totally and utterly exhausted and had none of these symptoms or conditions before she got COVID and is only up for maybe three hours a day before she's got to go back to bed again. And this is like, I don't know, is it like 12 months since coming down with COVID. First, it could even be longer. So there are three different types of long COVID, apparently, with millions of people estimated to have have the condition. And I know others then go tut, tut and roll their eyes to heaven and what have you. But spare a thought for people who really are suffering long term with COVID. The first one is fatigue, brain fog and a headache. The second one is chest pains and shortness of breath. And the third one is uh, heart palpitations, muscle ache, pain and changes in skin and hair. Uh, I've heard of those who actually lost their hair. Could you imagine if you suffered all three of those symptoms? It's a story from the mirror today. And one that's very close to my own heart. And that has to do with best before dates and use by dates on things what you do be buying in supermarkets. And I know it from first-hand experience because I take no notice of best before dates. I take no notice of use by dates. I go by smell and taste. And if it smells okay and it tastes okay, I'll eat it. But in my house, I have a couple of characters who are absolutely, totally controlled uh, by best before and used by and will ditch anything if it's on the day or even a day before uh, the best before are used by date. And they're two different days. Anyway, more on that later on, because um, more supermarkets in the UK now, including Marks and Spencer and Waitrose, are ditching uh, best before dates on hundreds and hundreds of fruit and vegetable products. I don't know if they're going to move on to doing it with meat like beef or chicken or things like that, or fish, but certainly with lots of fruit and lots of vegetables, and not before time. And what are they telling people? Well, they're telling them to use your own judgment about when the food has actually gone off, as in a bit of cop on. And the difference then, because some are confused between use by and best before, use by indicates the point until which a food item is safe to eat, and best before is actually the date when it's at its optimum quality. Hope you can follow that. Anyway, your texts on best before and used by dates. Do you follow them? Are you a slave to them? Text 0868104106. And just when Love Island comes to a close, as it did at the weekend, ITV2 have announced that they're bringing back Big Brother. In this crazy world we live in. There's lots more, actually. I'll come back to them throughout the course of the morning. A lot of them are kind of uh, shrinkflation related. You're paying more now for products than ever before. And they're getting smaller. The latest one, apparently, a packet of Maltesers. So all that and lots more to come. Cork's number one talk show. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Two recent events, well, weekend events, particularly uh, to uh, Sunday, which was the Cork City Cove Ramblers game. Now, there was a lot going on down there, right? And many Cork City fans obviously travelled to the away game down to Cove Ramblers. I have emails, I have texts, I have photographs about what happened after the City goal when fans rushed forward celebrating and the fence collapsed. I believe, well, I'm actually 100% sure that it is a safety fence that is supposed to collapse if there's a surge. But there's a lot of division as to whether this was serious or not. I wasn't there. Paul Burns certainly was there. Um, I don't think he was reporting on it. I think he was there as a fan and as a parent. And he joins me by phone. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Lots of division on this now um, because I saw on your Twitter where you were saying that it was very, very frightening and very scary. You got a lot of push pushback from people who were saying, calm down. It wasn't. 
Yeah, um, look, basically, I was in the stand with my brother-in-law. My son and his two friends were over in the terrace where the, a lot of the city supporters were. And uh, just as the Cork City goal was scored, the player and other players ran over to the supporters uh, to celebrate. And as they did, the uh, supporters rushed forward. The, the fence uh, went forward. In my mind, it collapsed. It looked as if it collapsed. Um, the stewards were doing all they could to keep it, to push it back up. The fans were there. Now, from where I stood at the time, Neil, it looked absolutely frightening. And I'm not going to retract on that whatsoever. It did. It was scary. In oh, my, my God. I'm just looking at it again now. It did. When that fence collapsed forward and the fans fell forward, oh, my God. It is scary looking. It is, it is. I mean, look, we'll say for argument's sake. Just I looking at the video see, again. Yeah, yeah and, and, and my photographs there. Look, there we'll, we'll say for argument's sake, there was a couple of hundred people reacted to my um, post on Facebook and Instagram. 50% will say that I was over uh, playing it, I was exaggerating. Another 50% said I was dead right, that it looked uh, frightening. They were concerned for the safety of their loved ones. Um, you know, look, there was another woman sent me a photograph last night. I asked her, would she go on radio with you? She, she wasn't really up to it. Her daughter and son uh, were trapped underneath it. She said her children are traumatised. Trapped. They're bruised. Yeah, that's the, those are the words. She said they're traumatised, they're bruised, they're scratched. And she was totally in uh, agreeable with me that it was frightening. They came home absolutely petrified after it. Um the fans, you know, I, I saw at one stage one young fella trying to get out onto the pitch and the stewards were trying to push him back in. Maybe that young fella feared for his safety and he wanted to get out yeah, there. Yeah, I see two I kids in the... Uh, yeah, I see two kids yeah. at the front, actually. One lad definitely is, is trapped uh, and there's, there's a girl, young girl, looking behind in a panicked state. Yeah, and I, I reckon that's the lady's daughter that, who, who was on to me, and she's down the ground, and she does look petrified. Um, you can imagine a child, she's probably 10 or 11 years of age, and there's a, a group of adults, you know, swarming on top of her. And look, the stewards did all they could, I suppose. Look, are they trained for it uh, for in the event of something like that happening? Is the fence, um, is it a, a case where the fence does call, automatically fall down? when there's a surge, I don't know. At one stage, the stewards then wanted to put the city supporters back into the shed at the stand where we were. People were objecting to that. There, there was, like, I, I've been at a Cove Rambler City game on two occasions, and there is, you know, one side you've Cork City, you've Cove, the other side, they're goading one another ever before the match starts. Cork City uh, supporters were throwing more flares onto the pitch than Cove Ramblers did. It was just incredible. Again, there, there's, there's like this hatred between the groups of supporters um, it, it, it reminds me sometimes of, of the English clubs where there's just poison and you know they want to get at each other it's, it's frightening but back to the, the stand again you know, I came out afterwards and some people said oh there was no need for that that they were now fearful that they were going to be barred from the matches if they were identified on CCTV or photographs and um, <clears throat> You know, I said, look, I was just there as a spectator. I, I thought it, it was frightening. Um, I could see then that the stewards also put up, um, they moved the fans away from where the fence came down and then they put in um, little barriers ar around the way. Um, 
so look, in my mind, yeah, I, I make no apologies. I did. I got a fright. I was uh, concerned. But, but luckily, my kids were up about 20 feet away from where it happened. So they weren't in danger at the time. Yeah, but, I mean, you talk about maybe ramblers and city fans not getting on. I mean, you use the word hatred. That's a very that's a very strong word to use. This incident had nothing to do with this. This was more in celebration of a goal, Oh, they it? were in celebration. They were in celebration, yeah, definitely. They were in celebration and they went wild. And they, they, this, there was the surge and then the fence collapsed. But in my mind, look, you... I presume you'll probably have somebody from Colvan in a yes. moment or two. I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay, if the fence was to come down, if it's in, um, engineered in such a way, I got the impression that let it fall, let it fall onto the grass and let the fans come out onto the, the pitch and then put them back into the terrace and bring the stand back up. But the stewards were forcing it back up. They were pressing it up. And afterwards, when the fans were taken away from that area, you could see that the fence was still uh, somewhat buckled. Yeah. It hadn't been put back into it, its its rightful place. Yeah, um, there's a statement from uh, Cove Ramblers. They say, as a club, the safety of our patrons is the most important consideration. We're thankful that nobody was injured when a section of the pitch fencing collapsed in an area occupied by City fans as they celebrated a goal. And it was a celebration. Um, We could never have foreseen such a large surge forward on the fence, but we are satisfied that its collapsible design prevented any injury. Um, In hindsight, a greater dispersion of Cork City fans in this area was probably advisable, and we recognise this. There was sufficient space in the terraced area to allow for that, specifically behind dugouts, etc. Critically, the allocation of families to the seated Liam McMahon stand prevented any children from being present during the surge. Not so sure that that's true. No, no, Um, no, no, no. And we will learn from the actions, thanks to the Gardaí, Cork City staff and the FAI, etc. I think there were children present in today, but it was a collapsible design. Okay, that's fair enough, you know. Um, But why then were the stewards uh, trying to stop it from coming down? I think it was prevented from doing its job, if that's the case. Looking at your Twitter, actually, uh, many of the people who were responding said that this has more to do with lack of funding and facilities at League of Ireland um, pitches and... Uh, FAI, um, you know, stadiums than anything else. Is there any truth in that, that they need to be given more money? Oh, well, definitely. I mean, I, I look, I'm only following the games the last couple of years since my young fella took an interest in it. And you can see that some of the stadium stadiums are, you know, prehistoric and really lack um, an awful lot of facilities. But just in, in regards, if this was a collapsible fence, Neil, then it should have been allowed to collapse onto the pitch and leave the people out onto the pitch. So do you believe that they actually avoided serious injury locally then? Oh, in my eyes, yes, definitely. You know, and the stewards, in fairness, they, they, look, they, they're, they're, they do marvellous jobs and they're out there picking up the flares off the, off the pitch and putting them into a bucket of sand. You know, it's not fair of the, the stewards, the shite that they have to put up. How are they getting flares in though? Are people not, I don't know whether you can because, search people, can you? Um, I don't know what the, the the situation with the searching is. I mean, if you're if you're over eighteen, I presume you can be searched. But there's young fellas going up there, twelve and thirteen years of age together, you know, as fans, and I presume they can't be searched. And but put, they're dangerous, aren't they? Flares. If you hit somebody with a flare, I know they burn pitches, but they could do serious damage if they hit somebody. 
Oh, big time. And, and also one night we were in the standing cove and uh, the last game I was at Cove and City and the amount of flares that were left off in the stand, it was absolutely ridiculous. The smoke was toxic. People were coughing. People were choking. People wanted to get... And at one stage, I was convinced there was going to be a stampede of people trying to get out of the stand at a game previously. As I just wanted to make sure that people are sure, uh, straight on that. It was a previous game and there were so many flares. Look, they're getting the flares in no problem. I remember being in Turner's Cross recently and I was standing behind these two gentlemen who, you know, they were watching the match and all of a sudden, one young fella came up and had a word with him and I saw this gentleman sneak a flare out of his pocket into the young fella's hand. I was shocked looking at the guy who who had the, the, the flare. I said, he'd be the last person in my mind who would have tried to smuggle his flare in, but he did that. What happens you know? when you're caught? Are you barred? I think you're thrown out and barred, you know, and, and the guards and the stewards know the, the 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 fans who are there on a regular basis and they have a good idea who they are okay. and they know who they are once they're caught. But look, I mean, from a security point of view, searching them, I think that really has to be up. Uh, uh, they have to up their game on that in all stadiums, um, you know, when it comes to springing flares in. But last week, again, I reckon that there was, in my mind, there was definitely 10 thrown from the Cork City side, four or five thrown onto the pitch and into the stadium from the Cove Rambler side. But, um, you know, it, look again, thankfully nobody got hurt with the collapse of the, the stand or the, the fence. But again, just sorry to annoy you, but if that is a collapsible fence, they should have allowed it to collapse. OK, Absolutely. good point. And I'll make those points, that point and other points to uh, the uh, Cove Ramblers chairman, Billy O'Leary. Thank you for taking the call, Paul, as always, Paul Byrne. And remember, Neil, I'm there just as a parent. I, was, I wasn't reporting gotcha. on that as a news reporter. I was there as a parent. You were there Sorry. as a parent and supporter. Thanks for that. Tommy Guilfoyle was there as well. Tommy. Hello. You're, meanwhile, you're saying that it was, uh, to quote your, quote your own words, um, a, a, a great day, a fabulous day. Yeah, no uh, well, Neil, I, I travelled, I was born in Cove, but I live in... Affair, I, live, I, I was born in Cove, but I live in County Clare, and I drove down, and I, I, I went into the gate with my ticket, I was told I had to have a ticket, I was checked, my ticket was, te- was checked, I went in, I made my way to the far side behind the dugouts, I was only 10 feet away from the city fence, there was no missing between the city fence and the Cove Rambler fence on the same side of the ground. The fans that uh, your previous speaker spoke of, the Cove Rambler fans and the Cork City fans, they had great voice on the day, the Cove Rambler fans. They had plenty of chance, soccer chance and in between chance and everything else. And as far as I could see, it was only soccer banter. And when the fence did go, obviously if that gentleman feels it, it was a very scary moment, no one could take that away from Do you it. see it falling? Did you see it collapsing forward? No, no. where I was, where I was standing, oh, you couldn't see it, but you could see that something happened when the stewards moved up to, uh, to attend to There's it. video of it, which I've seen, and it does look very frightening, I have to say. You'd get a right shock if you saw it collapsing and people falling forward. And it wasn't would, just well, a I small would, area, it was like a domino effect. Yeah, well... I look at I can't, I didn't see it I can't comment on it but I would say I'm glad the defence collapsed to allow the pressure be alleviated from the people pushing from behind. Yeah. If the defence didn't collapse. I'm assuming it would be a different ball game altogether. People may have been injured. So. Yeah. What about the flares though? Oh, well, the flares. Look at fla- flares should not be brought to games. I'm a fan and look at they, they shouldn't be brought to games. I think the stewards, in fairness, done 100 percent with the flares. The minute the flare was thrown. The game was stopped by the, the assist, by the assist, the referee, the referee, and a steward came along with a bucket of sand and covered the flare with sand and, and scooped it out and brought away the yeah, flare. Yeah, but were you seeing that five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago? 
or um, Jesus, I don't know when they came around with flares. No need to be honest with you, but in the last couple of games, no, you, you, you see Italian players. Soccer, didn't it? Uh, you see, you see it in the continent, and you see it across the pond. Like, do you know what I mean? They're a big, they're a, they're a part of the game. No, whether you know how dangerous they are is is is, is definitely there. They are dangerous. Okay. If they hit you in the face, I'm sure you're going to get an awful burn. And they do, and they do, and they do destroy the field as well. Like so. Look, at, I think the stewards on the day done a fantastic job in regard to the flares. The minute the flare was torn, it was put out. The game was stopped momentarily. Uh, the, the flare was put out. It was scooped up, brought away. The person was ejected from the stadium in a mannerly fashion, and the game resumed. I think we were lucky that people weren't seriously injured. When I look at the video, to be honest with you, Tommy, I think it could have been a hell of a lot worse. I know, I know I wouldn't be spoiling a great day for people. That's important, too. I understand that. But looking at the video footage... It looks fair. It looks frightening enough. Um, you know, that I can only I can only imagine Neil. I was in. The I, I, I was often in the Canal of Crow Park as a Cork fan, and when and when the Canal used to be a standing terrace, and everybody pushed forward when Cork scored a goal or Jimmy Barry Murphy scored a goal, and the crowd would swayed in, but the fence wouldn't fall in. Thank God the fence fell, and it was a small pocket of city fans who were congregated together, which fans do. And as in as in the statement from Ramblers, maybe they could have been dispersed better. But if there was kids involved in that crush, that is frightening, that is scary. But yeah. there was, in fairness to Ramblers, there was a place for kids and families to, to support their team from. And if your, kid, if your kid wandered over there at 8 or 9 or 10 years of age, you know, maybe there's an onus on the parents to make sure their kids are. Well, you know, good, good point, good point. But at what age do you define a kid then? What about a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, you know? Well, well, I'm, I, well, I'm a father of a couple of kids, and uh, if my 15 year old wanted to go to the game, he'd be going to the game on his own. You know what I mean? He's not a child; he's a teenager. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Good points. Well made. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for travelling down. Sorry about the result. Um, just on that point, Kevin Galvin, uh, when you go into a soccer match, say when you go to Cove Ramblers, you go to the Cork City game in Turners Cross, are you are you patted down or searched? Yeah, I, I would always be patted down and searched, but. You know, it depends on the security. Some are very, very stringent, and it's almost like going through an airport. And then some, it's a quick pat down, and then you go. It's, because it's, a flare you were describing comes in the same. You know, the tubes of Smarties that you might get in a Christmas stocking. You know, the big tubes. That, that's the size of a flare. Yeah, a little thinner, but in around that size. Yeah, and it's. I don't know. I've never taken a flare into a ground. I don't know how people conceal them, but they obviously seem some way of concealing them. But like you know, your your last caller, Tommy, just to pick up on what Tommy said there as well about the kids like those were Cork City fans Cork City fans were segregated into their own area so they weren't free to go to the the child and family area you would have had to have bought bought home tickets and then now I would have. I would always say that the vast majority of city fans have a very soft spot for Cove because of the fact that they're a close team to us. Why does actually Paul not say really always trouble? Because because what happens is when they go to the games, they're shoved into a small area, and unfortunately, like I think the vast majority of Cork City fans know where a lot of this trouble is 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 coming from. If there is trouble now. Were Cork City fans at fault for a fence collapsing? Absolutely not. No, that was a celebration. That's that was just a celebration. The flares, the smoke bombs that were let off in and outside the ground. Those those the people who are doing that are known to a lot of Cork City fans. Their faces are known. They're they're recognisable people, and yet they still seem to be allowed into. So the if grounds. they're Cork City fans that are continually bringing flares, mm. why aren't they barred? Why are the, they still getting? But this is this is this is my issue. Why aren't why aren't those um, people? known to Cove Ramblers why aren't the security of Cove Ramblers being given faces and pictures of these people particularly as we say the last game it was mainly pyrotechnics flares that were thrown onto the pitch but even at the game on Sunday somebody threw a bottle at John Kavanagh who's one of the Cove players John Kavanagh has played for Cork City for 
uh, you know, however many years, performed brilliantly, won trophies with the club. Like anybody. Threw a bottle on Sunday? On Sunday. At, did you uh, hit him? I know, did, I didn't. I think it was only a plastic bottle. But the fact is, like, John Cavanagh's from Mahan. He's a Cork lad. He played for Cork City for years. He won things for Cork City. Like any Cork City fan who would, you know, and I say, I, I don't say so called fans because they're traveling at Cork City Games so whether Cork City fans want to identify them as fans or not they are travelling to the games so they are our responsibility regardless of whether we like that or not yeah, okay. but anybody who thinks it's acceptable to throw something at a player like John Kavanagh who's been a brilliant servant for the club is an absolute moron and clear and clearly knows absolutely nothing about Cork City Football Club There's never any trouble after the match or before the match There's not Not outside. that I saw Not that I saw and generally there isn't like generally it's just uh, Whatever happens in the ground stays in the, I know people shouldn't be throwing flares or throwing mm. Bottles and all that kind of thing, but there's no fighting. There's no fighting. The only time I saw, the only time I've seen fighting um, this year was at the very, very first game of the year at Bray, when Bray fans kind of stormed into the city and and started causing hassle. But from a Cork City fans' point of view, it's not violent. It's not. But the flares are a huge issue, and okay. the people who bring them in, those faces need to be identified to every single League of Ireland club. So whenever Cork City play an away game, stewards know who they are, and they can turn them away at the gate. Okay, there's a couple of emails from people who were there, and I'll read them out in a moment. But just before I let you get back there, part of the email talks about the ultras. The ultras' behaviour is costing Cork City a fortune in fines. What What are ultras? Now, I think your emailer is slightly confused. Ultras are, they would be identified as being supporters groups that try to add extra colour or extra atmosphere to a game. So, in on the continent, a lot of them would bring flares. Um, you know, we would have big colour displays like a city played Galway a couple of weeks that's, ago. That's, that's inoffensive though. That's part and parcel. Yeah, exa- exactly. And it's well, not what, even, it's it's actually why supporting does he say they're cost, Who's costing the club Cork City of Fortune? I think this, I think this email is misidentifying this group that are causing a lot of hassle as ultras like I said to you the actual ultras group are a group called Commandos 84 there is a group that follow Cork City called Commandos 84 Commandos 84 which is based off Marseille Football Club who's Ultras group that have an ultras group that were founded in 1984 called Commando 84. Uh, and Cork City were founded in 84, so they just are Commandos kinda, 84 harmless, harmless, totally harmless. They are just there to create atmosphere at the okay. matches. So why are Cork City being fined? Because their supporters are bringing pyrotechnics into the game, and, and pyrotechnics are. Should, I know Tommy said they're a part of football. They should not. There's there's no reason why. You, I think the FAI now have a choice, right? They can either let fans, can let this continue and somebody's going to get hurt. Has anyone ever been hit by a flare? Oh, I, I know people who have been hit by flares, who have who've, who've been burnt by flares being dropped on the it ground. It's the highest intensity of... Uh, it's of hundreds and hundreds of degrees. It, it, like, it's meant for ships to send out signals to pass. You know, it's not meant for crowded areas. It's, it's, and I, and I understand, right? There are lots of alternatives to these things. You can, you, you, you have uh, kind of fake flares that give off the same light, but it's all enclosed. There isn't the same heat. You have, you know, you like even the smoke bombs, if, like they're toxic and they're not great but they're a better alternative to somebody burning their hand off but I think the FAI have the FAI really now should step in and do what other groups have done which is allow train certain sets of supporters to use pyrotechnics in a safe way allow them space to do that away from other people why like, not just ban them and because it, you're, even if you ban them you're not going to stop people using them it, it's like it's like the. But what if you for instance caught somebody throwing one um, and they were escorted out by security and arrested by the Gardaí. Absolutely. And brought but, to court and fined. This, 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 these things have been happening for the last 
I mean, I remember when City won the league in 2005 and there were flares all over the place. Okay. So okay. this obviously stuff, and I, and I, I like the clubs need to take a hard line. Like I said, those people should not be allowed into grounds. But my solution, my, I think the easiest solution is to properly train people to do it, give them fire buckets and disposable things, and, and just let them do okay. it in a safe way, a safe, responsible, controlled way. And you saw the video footage just very finely, briefly, with regards to the surge forward following the Keating goal. It was the Keating goal, wasn't it? Yeah, Rory Keating. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and a collapsible fence. Mm. What do you make of that? Cove say it's. I, I'm interested to hear what Bill O'Leary will say later on. Um, I remember 2008 Santa Cup final when City played Glen Torn and when Laurie Dudfield scored the second. Or sorry, Liam Carney should I say scored the second goal to win City the Santa Cup. The fence at the front of the shed collapsed, and there's a good three or four foot drop. Now people say, well, it's great that the fence collapsed because it stopped crushing. But ultimately, when the fence collapsed, all those people are going in one direction. And instead of it being people pushing up against each other, it's gravity. So whoever, you know, whatever chance you have of trying to stop yourself is now gone. Because if you lose your balance, you're going down. And as we saw and in some of those photos, and like there, are, there were kids on top of them. And yeah. you're trying to pull people off then. Like, I honestly think there how many people were in that group? Maybe 100, 150 max. If a barrier has to, if a barrier has to collapse with the weight of that few people... We're not talking Hazel Hillsborough numbers here. We're not no, talking tens no. of thousands of people. We're talking a couple of hundred people. It, it looked to me like that, f- I, and I'm sure Bill will correct me, but that fence is not, that looks like it's it's not, they're going to have to replace that fence entirely. Now, if, if, if a fence is designed to collapse, should it then split in half and break all over the place? I don't know. No, it's, well, I guess it falls forward onto the grass. And it should end up, being able to be put back up and back in place but that fence looks beyond repair Okay, Okay, but I think a tragedy was averted though looking at the video footage Thankfully it was but I I still think I still think if 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 that many people would have rushed towards the fence and the fence had stayed where it is I don't think there would have been an issue I I genuinely don't think there would have been an issue Okay Okay. because I've seen that happen at League of Ireland grounds up and down the country where people rush up to the fence, there's a bit of a scrum, a couple of people step away from it because it's too much for them and then everybody, the, the players go back to the to playing the match and everybody kind of disperses again. Mm. Well, the, but was there anything to be learned from the players not to celebrate a goal then? Ah, you, can, that's, you, can't, you can't be okay. saying don't celebrate a goal. I mean, that's, you might as well not bother going to the game at all in that case. Okay. You, you right. need to provide, and sorry Neil, um, just, just to finish, like that ground is in need that ground was was barely fit for purpose in the 1980s St. Coleman's Park and there's a lot more like it around the country um, like this comes down to the bare fact that League of Ireland supporters are being put in grounds and put in facilities where it's completely in fairness a lot of people on Paul Burns Twitter were saying that this is more to do with lack of funding and, and they were comparing it to the GAA or issues but, uh, like but this is, I mean the misappropriation G- of funds within the FAI and stuff and I don't want to this isn't a G, this isn't really anything to do with the GA. but when you look at the amount of money that was granted to the GA for their redevelopment of Park Creeve and then you look at the amount you comparatively how much money is being given to League of Ireland clubs when they're being expected to operate as businesses like League of Ireland clubs they have to pay their players they have staff to pay they are local employers okay. in the area yeah, they don't get right. grant money yeah. so they are trying to survive on bit by bit the grounds are owned are oftentimes not owned by the clubs themselves I honestly think Neil if we had a complete redesign of how we dealt with sporting infrastructure like they do in the continent have the councils build the stadiums and have the clubs rent the stadiums off the council 
councils have a full municipal stadium that everybody can enjoy swimming pools astroturf pitches running tracks we would have a much better sporting society as that a result. sounds like a plan going forward yeah. so is, is League of Ireland football or a Cove game or a City game still safe for children 100% Okay, I would say 100% yeah. thanks for that got some interesting emails thank you Kevin text 0868104106 I'd like to take this opportunity to highlight what should have been a fantastic family day out supporting Cork City Football Club in a cup game away from home. Should have been a great occasion for both of my kids, 9 and 11, and their two friends, both 13, which quickly turned into a nightmare. Having got to the ground early, we got fantastic vantage points, and the kids were delighted with the view they had. City warmed up in front of them, and they got to see their homegrown heroes up close and personal. The ground filled up and was initially a fantastic atmosphere uh, prior to the game, with chanting and singing very quickly becoming dangerous. Smoke bombs and flares which were being thrown onto the pitch were narrowly missing people at the front barrier. Keating's goal hit the back of the net and all hell broke loose. Myself and my four kids I had with me were shunted forward against the barrier while grown men acting like morons pushed forward without a care for the safety of anybody before them. I had to use myself as a shield to try to protect the children from being crushed. The fence in front then fell forward launching the children to the ground with grown men still jumping and pushing forward. You can imagine the panic when the children I have responsibility for disappeared under men of all ages. It was like a nightmare. Thankfully I was able to pull the kids to safety with the help of one other person in the crowd who shouted out to the fans that there were kids and a family stuck in there. Thankfully I was able to get all four kids out of there without any major injuries, but they were scratches and bruises. However, the fright they have got will stay with them for a long time. My son was extremely upset and frightened. While I understand there was a major panic in the ground and the game was stopped, there was no facility in place to report to anybody that they were caught up in the scenario. The lady in the shop in the corner of the ground saw how frightened and upset my son was and in fairness, she handed over a few bags of sweets to take his mind off it. We moved behind the goal and tried to enjoy the rest of the game but it was all a bit of a blur. I can't point the finger at anybody, but I believe Cork City Football Club now need to take a hard stance on the behaviour of the fans following them. Cork City are quickly getting a bad name for fan behaviour and the club will have to rectify that. The ultras' behaviour is costing the club a fortune in fines and thankfully there were no injuries on Sunday, but the potential serious risk and danger to supporters was very high on the day. Security imposed by Cove Ramblers was well below par. There were half a dozen security members there who were looking after the full ground, a proper security check and a larger presence in the grounds for the volumes of fans was needed. My family have loved going to the cross and religiously supporting the club uh, this season with their friends, counting down to Friday night home games. I reckon I'll have a massive issue with trying to persuade them to attend any more games due to the incident and Sunday, and I'd also be hesitant myself. I'm sending you pictures attached with my daughter and son's position. And I have the photographs as well, which I described a little earlier. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Jake's a City fan. Uh, I believe he may well have been at the match. Jake, good morning. Uh, yeah, good morning. You were also in the stand that collapsed, were you, Jake? Yeah, it would have been. Okay, was it bad? Because looking at the video, it really looked to me as if it could have resulted in a serious injury to people. What do you make of it? I think, I think it would have been a lot more exaggerated than it was. 
<clears throat> but as soon as it happened, everyone got up straight away, held everyone back up. Oh, no, then applied with security and all that. Yeah. It was very dramatic by what is there, Paul Byrne had said on and what I saw on the internet about it too. And I think a lot of people inside that stand would have said the same thing as yeah, well. But what about the email I just read out from a man who had four children with him? Yeah, but like he shouldn't, there shouldn't have been children in that stand. That stand, there was a, the whole other stand was a family stand meant for children yeah, with their I parents. I accept like that, that, yeah. 9, 11, and 2. two was, one was 9, one was 11, and 2 or 13. Should have been a family area. So it was fans celebrating the goal, right? Pushed yeah. forward. Those at the front yeah. fell when the stand, when the, when the barrier collapsed, and, and people kept pushing forward because they didn't know, is it? Well, no, I just, it just find it a normal thing. Like, if you score a goal, like, your fan base is going to run forward like that. Like, and yeah, yeah. The way it happened, defence must, I don't know what it was with defence, but it just meant to went straight away. Like, but, like, I think as soon as it went, everyone kind of just went along with it and got back up and helped with the security, getting everything sorted. Like, I think it was very over-exaggerated. And it's given Cork fans a bad name, too, which I don't think is fair or justified either for it, like... He says the front, the fence in front fell forward, launching my yeah. children to the ground with grown men still jumping and continuing to push forward. No one would do that intentionally, I'd say. You just wouldn't. Yeah, no, no chance. Like, that's what he's saying. Like, like, yeah, no one would have done that. Like, they, they, people, as soon as people realized, they did stop and they came back up and tried to get everyone, everyone helped each other to get back up as well. Like, Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, were you, were, did you end up surging forward as well? Yeah, I would have been up more up towards the back at the time, though I wouldn't have been down the front myself. Okay, but I mean, you you saw them surging forward. I mean, like, it, how, how would you have reacted to what you saw? Did you get a Did you get a shock? No. Okay. I didn't. Okay. What What about the smoke bombs and the flares being thrown onto the pitch, narrow, narrowly missing bomb. people? I don't think they really narrowly missed anyone either. Well, I know I'm, I'm reading from the one of the emails. Smoke bombs and flares were being thrown onto the pitch, narrowly missing people at the front of the barrier. Well, like that's been happening around the whole league this season, but it's only whenever like, like it's come back on us now because I don't know why it is. Like, but that's happening around every round in Ireland. But what's going to happen, man, when somebody? Th- th- just us, because like. it's going to ultimately one of these flares going to land on top of somebody's head. Yeah. And, I don't think so. Like that's just never an intention to near a player. Like it's usually on the side of the pitch, is where it is. But like, sure, when the thing fell, like one of the corner players threw one back in at the fans. Like I think that was probably the most unsafe thing that happened while that was happening. Like a flare was a thrown player from the, the pitch, pitch back into the supporters. Yeah, one of the corner Ambrose players threw a flare back into the pitch, back into the fan base. Sorry, or just after it was falling as well at the same time. A burning flare. Yeah. And I don't know how that wasn't picked up by a lot more media too because that never happened. Like I think it was that should be something that should be said too. Like how are they getting? I assume you don't bring flares in, Jake, do you? No. All right. How are they getting them in? I don't know, but I know like that. Um, so when we came in on the away end, we all got searched. But um, I know one or two of my friends went in the home end, and none of them were searched. It was just the car fans searched, not the call fans. Like which I think is a disgrace as well. Well, there were Cove Ramblers flares as well. Painted, like, as the bad ones in, like. Okay, okay. Your, your text, you're saying that this is just trying to make out that soccer fans are hooligans and cause trouble, and it isn't the case. But it always is like that. Like, you see gas fans on the pitch all the time. It's never said to them when they have small fans, there's nothing said about it either. It's always football, right. always. And is there any particular grief between Cork City fans and Cove Ramblers fans? No, there wouldn't be really. I know it's our local derby, like, but like... 
there's no real beef there like okay. or anything like that like it's just normal okay okay coverage completely over the top you say although I have seen I, the video saw, did yeah. you see the video yeah I saw the video wouldn't scare you no no alright like, I just thought it was I was there I was there like as I said like and it was there I seemed to be a lot more demanding than it was I wanted to the whole stand said like it was just a small little bit like would you have a different opinion if you were at the front with people pushing forward on top of you though no because like, there was a few of my friends were down in the front as well and they were all fine too like things like that happened like, it was, like I don't know like, it might be the way the barrier was it might have been just old or whatever I don't know why it broke through like but it's designed to do that nice one Jake appreciate you taking the call thank you Colin good morning Good morning, Neil. Thanks for holding. You were there um, with your... Was it yourself and your wife? Myself and my wife were there, yeah. We've been going since 84, actually. <laughs> okay. Where were you in the pitch? Just up from where the the actual barrier buckled. Back from it? You were in that area that pushed forward then? We were at the very front on... on the other barriers. Oh, okay. You know? In an area that didn't collapse. So you saw it, did you? I did. I did indeed, yeah. But you describe yeah. it um, as being exaggerated. Well, I think Paul, I've got great time for Paul Byrne, but I think Paul might have just been a bit OTT there now, you know. Um, it, naturally, it would be a frightening experience for a person like that was at that very point. But um, it was dealt with. I think it was the way that, you see, there was about 20 layers of people going up that terrace, if you like. 20 lines of people, at least 20. Now, if you had crush barriers, permanent crush barriers, which you see in an awful lot of grounds, most grounds actually, it would have stopped the surge of people, such a surge coming down, you know? What are crush barriers? Are they the, are they all the way back up the terrace? Are they? Yeah, it's a, it's it's a permanent. Yeah, they're, they're sort of dotted around terraces. You see them, and on you can only go so far on a terrace, kind of thing, is exactly, it? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. It stops surges coming down. You yeah, know. Yeah. And to tell if, the play, truth, if player they, if players run to the side of the pitch to their supporters while celebrating yeah. a goal. Yes. The fans automatically try and get close as they can to them, and they surge. They do. I mean, right. there's excitement. People are jumping. People are running down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, okay. it happens. And it happens can, all the does time. Does anything need to be done about that, or am I over the top? Oh, God, well, you might as well forget, forget about the game. So, okay. like, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just asking. I mean, you, you may say that it, it's exaggerated, but you weren't caught at the front you didn't have no, children on the I, ground. I have, I have been in the past, and I mean, there was no, there, there, there would be no problem. I mean, people just go back to where where they came from, kind of thing, like you know. Okay, well, just um, have a, just have a listen to this. Um, another description of what happened on Sunday: uh, the frightening ordeal that occurred at the Cork City game in Cove. Some people are commenting online, seem to think that it was a trivial situation. Far from it. My kids were there, aged 11 and 9, with two of their friends aged 13, chaperoned by my husband. They were all caught up in the middle of what happened. My kids and their friends were pushed to the ground, landing face down on the broken barrier 
and had grown men fall on top of them. If it wasn't for my husband being there and pushing these men off them and getting them back on their feet, I dread to think what might have happened. Luckily, another fan present came to the aid of my husband and shouted to the crowd that there was kids on the ground and helped pull one out to safety. Thankfully, they got away with sore legs and a few scratches and bruises, but are seriously traumatized after it. To see people commenting online, making out that it was a thing and nothing, is far from true. My kids are... I didn't, avid I didn't, no, I'm not I saying didn't. you. Hold on a second. Online. Commenting online. My kids right. are avid supporters who love going to the cross on a Friday night, but it will be very hard to get them back there. Cove Ramblers released a statement stating that there were no kids involved. As you can see, the pictures I've sent to you paint a different story. So that's mm-hmm. a description of kids okay. on the ground now, with people on top of them. This man said uh, he'd find it very hard for them to go back to the cross. It, well, it didn't happen in the cross, Neil. It happened in Cove Ramblers, down in St. Coleman's Park. Now, would they be traumatized against going to any soccer match where where big supporters would gather? Yes, well, it depends on facilities too, doesn't this, Neil, really? Yeah. I mean, like, as I said about crush barriers, uh, as I said, uh, as I will say to you about uh, families, there, there was a stand there, presumably it was meant to be a, friend, uh, a family-friendly stand. Now, why weren't stewards telling families, small, with, uh, people with small kids, to go into that stand. Yeah, I understand, but I don't you know, know what I don't know what, what I don't know at what age does a, a young fleur, a young girl, not want to be in the family area anymore and want to be with supporters. Would that be 10, 12, 14, 15? I yeah, about yeah, about from fourteen to fifteen, they sort of go into the as we'd say in the cross into the shed. Yeah. No, you know? I mean I, I understand what you're saying, but you weren't caught in the pu- you weren't caught in the push forward. You weren't I was just just up from it on the railing myself. My okay. myself and my wife. But you weren't pushed to the ground, landing on the broken no. barrier with grown men falling on top of you. This is No, the I wasn't and that that is very unfortunate and it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened because as well myself and my both myself and my wife asked a co-rambler steward or volunteer where are the guards this is way before that that even happened and we were told the guards were down outside the ground dealing with another problem okay and why were you looking for guards because there should be guards at every game okay. uh, as regards uh, at a, a amount, the amount that were there i mean we i was at a ramblers game Oh, God, about three years back down in St. Coleman's Park. And there was a full riot squad there. Is that for City Ramblers? Yes, okay. and there was no need for them to okay. be there. I was just going to ask you that because I'm over time right now. I need to go to news. But is there ongoing grief or friction between City and Ramblers? No way. Okay. In fact, we used to go down there and mix together. There was never a problem. Okay, and I don't want to be fueling any inconsistencies or any inaccuracies. No so I'm happy way whatsoever. And in fact, okay. Neil, I'll tell you something as well. I'm a Foreign Cork City supporter and we actually pinpointed, we pinpointed fellows that were from our own crowd that were throwing flares onto the pitch and we'll continue to do so.
Appreciate that. Thank you, Colin. Pick it up after 10. Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. And again this week, some more fabulous opportunities to give away family passes to various tourist attractions across the county of Cork. And we've given away dozens and dozens and dozens of family passes up until now. We have more to do. Download the Explore Cork app and you'll see 850 places to see and things to do in Cork. So we'll feature some more of them across the morning with family passes to give away and I'll read out a list of some of the ones that we already have given away and more to come between now and midday uh, today. Anyway, let me just deal with texts. Uh, I'm going to take an ad break then so I don't get backed up but quite an amount of texts following uh, Sunday's game. Uh, and let me just read them out here. I have no axe to grind here. I wasn't at the match. I think that looking at the video, it would seem to me that there was bruising, that there was people who were very afraid, certainly by the emails that I got from parents. And I also believe it could have been an awful lot worse. And we're lucky, not just with the push forward to celebrate the goal, the collapsing of the fence and kids being trapped, but also the flares. I think that's just going to get worse and worse and somebody's going to be very badly burned and disfigured there was a horrible atmosphere in Cove that day Neil gangs up and down the town drinking and using brutal language too with lots of families and tourists around the vulgarity out of them must have been an awful welcome for the, for the people coming off the liner that was in at the same time. Where were Ungarda Shikona? No sign of a squad car, and I'd bet people had phoned them as well. Uh, a squad car only arrived once the match, match had begun, and they had all gone off to it, to the match. But it was the behaviour in the town, the texter was saying, before the match. That sort of behaviour was awful, and there should have been paddy wagons there, literally taking people away. Uh, the horrible atmosphere in Cove that day. Morning, the majority of these city ultras that are causing the hassle are made up of wannabe hard men that have watched the English hooligan movies one too many times and think they're the top boys. The reality is they are mostly late teen, early 20s kids who enjoy running in packs and pretending they're tough, posing in front of flags at away days. They enjoy the safety of the pack and in reality 99% of them couldn't fight to save their lives, says Kevin in Holly Hill. One or two more sorry can't come on air but Cork City fans were a disgrace in the town on Sunday. See that's a very generalised comment to make now. I mean you can't say that about all of the fans. Like I mean I have emails and texts from families who were there with children grown men who were there and follow Cork City length and breadth of the country. They're not hooligans. They're not disgrace. It's some of the element, perhaps you could describe that way. Anyway, I'll stay out of it. Can't come out of here, but Cork City fans were disgracing the town on Sunday. They set off flares in the square. They left rubbish and were drinking and peeing. So sad to see. Hope someone comes on to speak about that. And also the trains going back to Cork, says Joran Cove. Well, you can come on if you wish, Jor, but I'm happy to read your text out. Thank you to Karen, who then sent me a video of a fight after the game in the main square in Cove. It shows two guys in particular. There were a lot more than two of them scuffling. But two in particular... Uh, tackling each other and swinging punches. There's uh, one Vanguarda in the middle trying to keep order and she's completely overwhelmed by the sheer numbers. They tackle each other to the ground and then the video ends. So that was at the, not in the game, but those that supposedly go to support the game on Sunday, uh, Cork City and Cove. We also got a call from a Cork City fan who said they stayed in the square after the match to get a drink and make an evening of it 
but the fighting was just terrible. There was an element following Cork City. There's an element following Cork City now, he says, that are regularly causing trouble and the club needs to do more about it. There was a cruise ship in and tourists disembarking and it was, to say the least, extremely embarrassing. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. And it sullies the good name of both clubs, doesn't it? And it sullies the supporters who really are just passionate about one thing. Soccer and supporting a local team. Uh, Jim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Now, you actually are a steward in Parky Cueve, so, you, you know, you, you, you know how things work. We do, and, and we're, we're supposed to know how things work. Um, to, become, to become a steward in, in, in Parky Cueve, you're gathered with it, and then you have to do an all-day course. Uh, you will be shown clips of crowd management, uh, what to do when uh, lost children, etc. You go through the whole rigorous uh, um, walk that that might pop up on the day of an event. Now, I have been doing Shorten and Parky Keeve, I suppose, for nearly 10 years now. And thank God I have yet to see a very serious in- incident. Um, I was just listening to the. Is, you know, yeah. everybody that goes into Parky they all have a seat. The the, the 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 people with tickets will have the, will have the seats in both stands, and then you, there's terrace tickets. As terrace. You know. Okay, so there's still terrace standing still exists. Yes. Okay. Now All that right. that that's where that's where that's where uh, you're prone you're prone to come across maybe uh, fights over alcohol consumption. Uh, you might come across flares, which is very very rarely. Uh, we are according, sorry. Uh, no. The one word that comes to mind by listening to all the comments there since, since, since uh, yesterday and, and today on the media is that manpower comes into play. Okay. Are you, are you saying that there wasn't enough manpower, enough stewards, is it? I don't know. Uh, nothing about co-vendors and how they managed it. I don't know. But I'm just telling you my own perspective with the GA in Cork. On any given day, we could have 200 stewards inside the stadium. And you are made aware to look out for alcohol consumption and particularly the use of flares. Right, right. Do flares get into game matches? They do. They do, but that's where the stewards come in, Neil. Like, we don't... Like I very rarely see, I very rarely see fifty percent of us, thirty uh, percent of a game. Very rarely. If I'm doing my job, I'll probably see none of us. You're not supposed to see it if you're working. I you're, suppose is the you're, you're supposed to be keep. You're supposed to keep eye contact with, with everybody. Now, fellas, uh, you had fellas on the other morning. They said, that, uh, they, they, I don't know, was it the chairman said? Uh, I'm not sure. He said that these people are known. Well, they still known. Why aren't they being watched? Kevin said it. But tell me this. You know, you know at a, a, a game match. Yeah. Are, are fans segregated from each other, home and away? Not at all. Not at all. Right. All, all mixed in together, and not, and and you know, I, I'm doing it ten years. I, I've rarely seen a serious incident. I, 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 I very rarely. And you know, it's it's approach that makes it easy. You approach, you approach, you approach with a common common sense. It, like, I, we, most of us carry a bottle of water. So, in in, in the in the case of a flare been found you the flares on the ground you pour the water all the flares out in seconds yeah yeah. you ever like, afraid I, I that you'd be hit by one of them though 
I was hit by one. I was hit by by, by one below in um, Tullus. And that's about that's about that's about six seven years ago. An actual but, lighting flare of flare. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it was more, it was more, it was more, it was more spark, sparks to nine years. You know what I mean? Did and, it burn and, but, you? Uh, not really. No, not really. Not really. It, it, it glanced off my shoulder, but there was some went on my neck, but it was not not worth talking about. But that was dealt with. Damn uh, There was another story with me. We had a bottle of water, bang, and gone. In the story. In the story. Girl, the girl. We we the the, the man that truth. He was full up a drink. He was spotted by, by another steward who, who then called his supervisor. His supervisor got in contact with a member of the Gardaí that was close by. And the, the individual was removed from the stadium before he knew what, what, what happened. Yeah, but was he, was he subsequently arrested, do you know? I, that was, that's nothing to do with me. I, I knew nothing about that. I wasn't worried about that. I just done my job. Okay. My, my main priority on any steward in Parking Cube, their main priority is the safety of the spectators. I'm just telling you, from, from all the comments that I'm listening to this morning, that there seems to be a lack of manpower at these games. Now, we are all volunteers, may I add, in the GIA. We are all volunteers. So if you love your club, like Covanders, Cork City, Warfare, you, know, you name it, if you love your club, you will go down and you it's no point in complaining about well the texts now the texts now have moved in a different direction to before the match and more critically after the match and the carry on around cove and people in cove critical of cork people down there fighting and cursing and swearing and acting the maggot around the town no? i was at the hfield concert for two nights like we were inside in the stadium three hours before that four hours before that concert started yeah we were in oppositions we 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 spotted people coming in, and you you know you'll know the person you'll know the person if they're carrying bags. We have no power of our uh, 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 authority to search. We don't. That's done at the the turnstiles coming in. There's girls on the turnstiles. There's people on the turnstiles, and yeah, they they randomly pick randomly pick out a person, and that that they think you know might might. But look. It's coming back to, as I say, and I'll keep repeating this, manpower. Okay. And, you know, okay. everybody should get behind them, especially core vans. They're getting, a, they're getting a bashing this morning for an incident. If, to, if that incident didn't happen, uh, would, there be, would there be anyone talking about it today, even though there was flares set off? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I have, I have a responsibility to read out emails and comments from people who were caught up in it or whose children were caught up in it. Um, you know, fences falling in front and children launching children onto the ground and grown men still jumping and pushing forward. I mean, it caused an awful lot of panic and upset and uh, a lot and of trauma. That's brilliant to highlight that, and 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 rightly so, and rightly so. But I I, I think that the people of Cove should get there. Look, stop, stop, stop bashing. Uh, like the, the people that are bashing them, stop bashing them. Go down, give a hand out. You've been. But there was a, a video here of of two or three fellas, and they're literally poking the heads off each other. And some of, them, I think, one of them has a Cork City jersey on him. I mean, he's just and, and, has and a vanguard trying to break them up, and she's all on her own, totally overwhelmed. There's no way she's stopping that. And where are the shorts? And he, no, 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 this, this is in Cove. This is in the town oh, oh, after. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. But have any video... Why would you go of, to a video? soccer match to have a fight? I should ask the culture that, 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 that uh, certain, certain sports are, are going into. But have you, have you any videos with stewards in, 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 in the videos? Uh, photographs of the stewards trying to push back up a, collap- a collapsed fence, which doesn't make any sense to me. Zim stewards shouldn't be touching the fence. They should be more concerned about the, the, the people that's torn down them all. 
And they, they it, didn't, and it didn't it didn't collapse properly either on top of everything else. Yeah. And there Look, were children trapped in a half collapsed fence. And there's a fella leaning forward. Uh, how he's breathing is beyond me. There's another person below the actual height of the fence, clearly trapped with people pushing forward on top of him. No, uh, what, what I'm saying is it could have been an awful lot worse. Are the are the are the I, I, see are these stewards are these stewards um, uh, 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 are they better to have the, the health and safety done? You see, they you are. Know, I think it, they're a private security firm called Tekken Security. So these guys would be highly they, trained. They would be t- they yeah. would be t- top notch. They yeah. would be top notch. Yeah. But look, it's 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 something for the future. And and I think if you have more manpower at the venues, if the, the, right. the more vests, yellow vests in view. Maybe these goyos coming in with the flares, and we would think twice about, you know. I can tell you one thing. I wouldn't want to be caught up in it. Nor would I want any of mine caught up in it. Thanks for that, Jim. Appreciate it. I can guarantee you, Neil, segregating fans creates more problem than it solves, especially in a Cork v Cove game. There would be less hassle if City fans were allowed into the home end and visiting supporters were treated with more respect. One final one ahead of the break. I work professionally with pyrotechnics, including training in the use of marine flares and smoke. It's important to point out that whilst they aren't, in fact, toxic, they do burn at significantly higher temperatures, in some cases up to 2,000 degrees. That's seriously hot. Um, When we conduct the training, we have students wearing PPE, as some flares can drip molten pyrotechnic composition if held incorrectly. It will literally drop to your hand. I hear some of your comments suggesting smoke as an alternative. However, with these, the volume of smoke can inca- incapacitate if you're downwind. Uh, although these are also non-toxic, they also burn at high temperatures to create the smoke. Neither either belong at football games and most definitely should not be used anywhere unless trained. Thanks for that. Text 0868-104-106. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Uh, literally, as you say on Lee's side, rakes of texts coming in on this one. A lot of them from people who are in Cove and observe the carry-on. I don't know whether it's after the match or before the match or perhaps both. So we're just editing those and just processing them and I'll get them on the air in a few minutes' time. Uh, in other news, just following up on Friday's programme on different topics, I was talking about gas profits. While you guys, all of us, every one of us, will pay even more this coming winter uh, for gas and electricity. Those that provide it to you, the gas and electricity companies, continue to make eye-watering, um, actually shameful profits. Um, a lot of texts on that. One says, you talk about the profits of gas and electricity companies, and yet they want to privatise our water network. Take a leaf out of that book, says Gary, saying that what we have with gas and electric could also come to pass with water if we're not careful. Uh, A lot of different topics, some people who have uh, issues. Tell people, be careful shopping in Duns. It's gone way through the roof. They're adding euros onto food, not cents anymore. Take a look at this as a dedicated shopper of Duns. My shopping is normally normally 200 euro and I use four 10 euro off vouchers. My latest shopping was 250 euro using five 10 euro vouchers. 
I won't be shopping there again. 31 euro for four items. Um, don't know what the items actually were, but I don't really think that that would be exclusive to any one supermarket chain, to be honest with you. I think regardless of where you go, you see prices going up. You see it also in restaurants. And one of the ways you'll see it is if you have kind of a daily special or a roast of the day in a restaurant or in maybe a deli or in a, you know, a carvery counter in a bar. Yeah, I've noticed it myself. You know, you go back along, it could have been 12 euro, maybe 12.95. I see them creeping upwards now. I saw it at the weekend to 16 euro. And you got to wonder, has that all got to do with, uh, you know, utilities costs or food and transport? Um, other ones then with regards to different topics. Um, you know, we're talking about prisoners enjoying Love Island. Um, somebody suggested if anyone watched Love Island, you deserve to be locked up in prison. Somebody else says, I have to tell you that prison should not be enjoyable. It should be a hard time, not likened to a holiday camp, which it is now. There's no deterrent against crime. Well, when you're in the prison, surely be to God Almighty, if you're in prison and you're provided with a television set, you should be allowed to watch whatever you want. I mean, you're in prison. Uh, keep those common text 0868104106. But I did give, I did want to give uh, Cove Ramblers an opportunity to respond to what happened on Sunday. What could have been an awful lot worse. And their chairman is uh, Billy O'Leary and he, he joins me by phone. Billy, good morning. Thanks for taking the call. You hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you. Need yeah, it's not, it's not an easy time for you because um, it, it, it could have been an awful lot worse looking at the video. Would you agree with that? Uh, it could have been, Neil, it could have been. And I'm happy to come on here and talk about ways in which we all as the stakeholders can work together to maybe improve things. There's learnings for lots of people here. And I'm not going to get into hyperbolic discussion or sensationalism, right? That's not the game I'm in. Um, so, so I don't want to go down that road. Mm. Um, but I am happy to answer some questions and clarify, I suppose, a few things, if, if that's okay. Okay, this was a collapsible fence that was designed to do what it did to prevent injury, Right. Absolutely, and that's the key thing here for me. If I look at the outcomes of this right, Neil, nobody injured, thankfully, right? The fence did what it was supposed to do. God forbid if there was a concrete wall or if there was a far greater number of children in there, we would have been in a much more difficult scenario. Okay, okay. So our control around allocating and, and, and putting families in behind the goals in a seated area did work, and it worked in collaboration and support from courts. And what age and then do, do young children ask not to go in there or not want to be in the family area? Because I have emails and comments from parents of children 9, 11 and 13, now chaperoned in one email case by their dad, but caught up in the Malia, what happened? At what, what yeah, age is I caught it? up in it. And, you know, there's a personal responsibility here as well now, Neil. And I, 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 and I brought this to some people's attention yesterday. If we're, like, obviously, we're the providers of the event and we're facilitating the event. So the, the, the onus of responsibility and principles with co with and, 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 and with the League of Ireland. But there's also personal responsibility on people. If they can see that there's a potential for an overcrowding or there's potential for too many people in a certain area, they, it's up to them to disperse in a reasonable manner, Right. We're all personally responsible for our own safety in every scenario in life, and that shouldn't be abdicated. We shouldn't abdicate from that the minute we walk into a sporting uh, venue. Okay, okay. That, that, that's like what you're saying is you shouldn't have a nine-year-old or an 11-year-old in a terraced area with grown-up fans. Extent, yeah, I'd say, I would say if there is still capacity in a seated area and you can sit there, go ahead and do it. If there isn't, bring it to the attention of the steward, or as a very minimum, find enough space for you to sit what you deem to be in a safe area for your child. Okay, but but surely you'd acknowledge what, what some people experience. My kids and their friends were pushed to the ground, landed on the broken barrier face down with grown men falling on top of them. 
some of the crowd thankfully helped and pulled them out. Another one here, the panic of the children um, uh, as they disappeared under men of all ages was like a nightmare. Grown men still jumping, still pushing forward. This was after the Keating goal when one emailer describes it as all hell breaking loose. Grown men acting like morons. Um, yeah, grown men acting like morons, and that's that's absolutely unacceptable, right? Um, Defence did what it was supposed to do. We did ask our security people to to, uh, in as much as we can, ask people to disperse right down. And you can see there's pictures there, Neil. There's, there's lots of unoccupied space on that north terrace. And I would challenge people to say, why didn't you stand in that area? If you were bringing a child into an event, why didn't you stand in a very, in a far less densely populated area? Okay. I know. Why, why, yeah, why, yeah, I if I was taking a child into an event tomorrow, that's what I would do. So they, they shouldn't have been in that area in the first place. Okay. Why were, Paul Burma was making this point earlier this morning, he was there in a private capacity. He said, why were the security personnel trying to force the fence back up? Uh, well, the fence, I suppose the fence, look, we had to, we had to ensure the safety of the players and, and the safety of, of the event and to allow the event to proceed in collaboration with the, with the referee, who, by the way, was fantastic. He remained calm and controlled throughout and, and made very considered decisions. Um, we, we, we had to put in temporary fencing there to, to support people so that, that, they, that they didn't fall over. God forbid if it happened again, that they, did, that they didn't fall over on top of each other, right? So we had to put in some t- temporary measure and to protect the boundary of, of, of the game. Mm. Um, so that was important. No, I have to say most of the Cork City fans did collaborate and, and support us in doing that, Neil, and, and allowed the event to, to continue. Are you in any way critical of any of the away support then? In, in the principle, no, Neil, I'm not. I'm not. I, look, I mean, we've great relationships with Cork City. Um, I think we had a lot of uh, pre-match um, arrangements. We worked together on it with the Gardaí. Cork City, uh, we used them to identify some potential troublemakers, which are well known, right? And they did. We, did they get in, those troublemakers? Um, I can't comment on in individual cases, Neil, but in as much as we could, we were able with 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 Cork City to identify potential troublemakers. In, at the entrance, how, right? how does that work? Would Cork City personnel be at the turnstiles at the entrance yes. to the club, yes. pointing out discreetly, yes. "He's a maggot. Yes. He's exactly. trouble. He's, exactly. he's, he's, he's give you grief. He's going to fight. Exactly. He's got a flare." Exactly. And how do you pick no. out on the? How, how come then there were at least fifteen flares ended up on the pitch? You see, this is a challenge for us, Neil, and it's not it's not it's not exclusive to Cork City Covenanters games. It's it's across Europe and it's across the League of Ireland. You will see it. It's almost impossible to prevent the entrance of flares and smoke bombs into a game. We had people being searched. We had over fifteen or twenty flares that were confiscated and those uh, spectators banned. But you, in stopping short of strip searching somebody, how do you prevent uh, how do you prevent the flare if, if, uh, from entering from entering uh, entering the entering the pitch and entering into the into the event? So you can't people, body search or pat down you, every. You, well, you can you can to some extent, Neil, yeah. but you can't do it for underage. You and you have to be careful. And unfortunately, in some cases, some of these flares have been handed to children to bring into the match. Can you believe it? So this this is a bigger this is a bigger challenge and there's a personal responsibility and there's a parental responsibility here too okay. that these people have to stand up and say look what are you doing today Johnny are you going on to go around this do you have a flare with you you can't you shouldn't be doing that I'm not allowing you to go and Johnny should also as a, as a teenager be you know have, have to wear it all to kind of cop on and 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 and, and but that's and assuming that it's teenagers throwing flares it could be grown men no be grown it's teenagers women. in the it's teenagers in the main need I'm honest. Okay, and, and anybody that throws a flare, are, are any of them, they're clearly taken out if you're going to identify them, and are they handed Absolutely. over to the guardie? I mean, were there any guardie there? 
on Sunday. There was Gardaí there. Now, I, I met with the Gardaí down in Cove Station on Wednesday evening. I went down to, to request their attendance. I made I sent an email to the superintendent and to the, the sergeant in Cove and requested their attendance there. And there was, I, I think there was five or six Gardaí present at the event okay. uh, with 30 volunteers and, and our external security. And those kind of numbers are not abnormally low, Neil, for an event of I that understand. Time. It must be very frustrating for you because all you want to do is play soccer and people come along to enjoy it and you've all this other stuff happening. I mean, you know, Kevin Galvin was making the point at the end of the day, you're a business. You're there to survive financially. Maybe not profit, but keep your head above water. Is that difficult with regards to hiring security? I mean, do you have, do you have a shortage of funding? Is that one no, of the I mean, issues? I- I, and it's a good question. It's a great question. I, I don't think we can ever uh, we, we look like every League of Ireland talk about challenge, but finances and and but that should never be that that focus on finance should never be at the expense of safety, and it hasn't been and will never be for us. We spent a lot of money on security on this event, and we continue to do so. There is some learnings there for us as 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 a club, and we take those on board. But. And, and and maybe potentially there's an opportunity for League of Ireland, right, to go down the road of improving facilities per se. If you look at the growth of rugby over recent years, that was really facilitated by the by big investment at a national level in in state in uh, in, in facilities. The League of Ireland uh, need to do the same. Yeah, and somebody questioning the actual personnel present on the day. I think you said twenty supporters, but an unqualified amount of security personnel. Was there a number on those? There was nine security. We requested more, and we had a challenge in getting all of them through our security okay. company. Neil, I know there was big events on around the country, okay. and particularly in Cork. Um, but if you talk to Cork City and people that are involved in League of Ireland games at that kind of, you know, two and a half to 2,700 people, the kind of people we had, the, the numbers of people we had there was not disproportionate, right? Okay. Uh, okay. In terms of... Is, uh, there, hot, is there hostility yeah. between... Cork no. City and Cove Ramblers. No, there there isn't. We we've a fantastic relationship, and I've worked very hard. Since no, I've you might at club with, level. With I'm the, talking about down yeah. the, you know, but the guys just sections of support. Look, there probably is, and look, this is a symptom, really, Neil. If you look at some of the uptick in in kind of antisocial behaviour on sporting events in recent months and years, uh, it's really a symptom of what's come out of COVID. You've had two years of teenagers being locked up, and certainly they're coming with a pent up aggression. There's an exuberance, but there's a pent up aggression too, and I think that's a societal challenge. It's not just isolated football, and particularly, absolutely not just isolated Cove Ramblers, Cork City. You mean that COVID is the reason why they were? Beating the heads off each other I, around no, Cove I, after I, that. I certainly think I, 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 I think that's a very feas- a very reasonable explanation for some of it. I can't explain all of it, Neil, because you know I can't put my head, I can't get inside the head of a fifteen-year-old. But is it exclusively a you know not the greater soccer fan because they clearly just want to go and enjoy sport? But the section that I'm talking about is that exclusive to soccer? Or do we see it? At, at and after rugby matches or ga matches or other sports like is it just soccer no we don't we don't Neil and that's, that's a fair point and I think we have to recognise that can Bill O'Leary and Cove Ramblers and Cork City control that on their own no that's a societal challenge um, you know and, and, and but unfortunately it seems to be 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 more, you know, it seems to rear its head more in football, and we've seen it historically across Europe and in the UK in particular. Uh, and maybe it's rearing its head a little bit in Ireland now to a much smaller extent. Let's not over sensationalise here, but but certainly it is, it is a consideration. And has overseas soccer influenced that? Do you think? I 
Possibly, possibly, you know, and and also, you know, you know, the, the use of social media and the fact that people can share everything at every moment, you know, across the world, it, it, it serves great benefits in so many ways, but it serves a negative benefit in the context of something like this, where, you know, people maybe are being challenged to do something at an event uh, and put up on social media and they're seen in, in you know, just seen as some kind of quasi-hero. Kind of, yeah, kind of I know. Way. Absolutely. Yeah, it's tribal, yeah. isn't it? So yeah, having it seen, I'm sure you saw just finally, having seen the, the barrier collapse, which is what it was designed to do to prevent injury. Incidentally, Correct. there were minor Correct. injuries. There was scarring. Sorry, there was bruising. There was scratches. Yeah. But young young people were, were very traumatized, as you can imagine, yeah. if you had grown men, you know, falling down on you and stamping yeah. on you and tramping on you. Yeah. Did it frighten you? Uh, it, it did, it did, and I think there's learnings there for us. It, it frightened me to a certain extent. I mean, I think I, I have to be very rational and realistic and practical here, and we 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 can't we can't over overreact here. We have to do it in concert with Cork City, with with the with the League of Ireland and the FAI, and and we have to look at ways in which we can improve. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't look at ways in which all of us can improve. Ultimately, we want Neil. We all love the game of soccer. Cork, particularly, fantastic sporting city and county. We want people to go there safely and enjoy an event like this in the future. And and so so we're going to be part of the solution and not part of the problem, Neil. Okay, Billy, thanks for taking the call. Much obliged to you. Uh, As always, Billy O'Leary, the Cove Ramblers chairman. Um, Somebody else suggested that that there was a cocktail of events across the bank holiday weekend, including the good weather. So why would you have a game scheduled in the middle of a bank holiday Sunday and not a Friday evening, as would be the norm? Would it have made any difference, really, when it was um, actually... Held, I don't know. Um, somebody else suggesting that 2,700 people and 29 stewards and security staff, is that the right kind of balance? You are, Billy O'Leary said numerous times, most, most of this is um, you know, all about personal responsibility, up to and including um, parents not allowing children as young as 9 or 11 or 12 or 13 or 14 in a terraced area with adults, that they really should be only in uh, family allocated sections. Uh, text 0868104106. Thank you to everybody who contributed this morning. I'm happy to revisit this if needs be, but back after the break. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Yes, indeed. Just when I thought it was finished on it, I see Reams Moore coming in by text. Uh, fence collapsed. That's the issue. Nothing else. People have turned this into a conversation about flares. Flares have been going on for the last 20 years at Cork City Games. I've never seen an issue with them. They add great colour to Turner's Cross. No pyro, no party. Uh, your interview with Paul Byrne was pathetic. Uh, he's building it all up. Time for me to turn you off. A uh, little bit of youthful exuberance from kids can hardly be treated the same as drunken Liverpool fans crushing their own. Oh, my God. That is such a horrid thing to say. Uh, really and truly. Um, oh, jeez. Nobody is asking about the Cove player that threw a flare into the City fans when the fence collapsed. Uh, both the League of Ireland and the GAA use crowd pictures with flags with poles and flares in their television advertising to promote their games. So they're advertising stuff that's actually prohibited in the grounds, says Bobby. Another one or two, and another point, City fans had little or no access to refreshments, especially water and cold drinks on a very hot day. Morning, I don't think the stewards have a clue. They treat you like dirt going into the ground in Cove and search you like it's a prison. I'm in my 50s and I don't need this kind of crap. 
As for what happened with the fence, it's blown out of proportion as usual, says Connor and Bannerlock. I don't know. I mean, listen, you're entitled to it, to your viewpoint. But I'm reading out texts and descriptions from parents who are caught up in it with their with their children. Now, should they have been in the area? Probably not. But but this is a consequence of them being in the area, and it was very, very traumatic. The majority of these city ultras that are causing the hassle are made up of wannabe hard men watching too much English hooligan movies. Another one, the city supporters were a disgrace going up and down the streets of Cove. The vulgarity out of them was despicable. There was trouble before and after the match. They were knocking and banging on every car and every house door they passed. It was very scary. People of Cove, me included, dread them coming back again. It was disgraceful. Um, I was there and the security tried to control things inside and outside the studio, the stadium. It was very badly organised. Cars were trying to drive past the queue where the city fans were and drivers were not allowed to pass by. A steward was approached by another steward requesting he would go down to the end of the road to direct traffic away and they refused. As a 53-year-old male, being patted down intrusively on the way in is not on especially when they did not find any flares on the drunken mob who arrived five minutes before kickoff, loaded with flares. The Cove statement you read out is a joke. Uh, that guy is trivialising the incident by describing what happened as unfortunate. It sounds to me like a miracle that no one was seriously injured or killed. I would punish both clubs with big fines for such unacceptable behaviour that will eventually result, if they don't, in fatalities. Here, Billy O'Leary is saying much of this has to do with personal responsibility. You wouldn't see any of this carry on at a local guy hurling or football derby amongst the fiercest rivals, or indeed even at national level. Soccer draws an inherent hooligan mentality, opposed to the crack and the banter that GAA brings. There is no separation of fans at GAA games. They're complete idiots, the lot of those so-called fans at St. Coleman's Park on Sunday, says Willie. This is the same fence that's in Turner's Cross and with more supporters pushing forward, it never collapses. Um, why did a Cove player throw a flare back into the crowd while all this was going on? Um, that was actually a question I probably should have put to uh, Billy O'Leary. My apologies. Strange that nobody has mentioned the Cork City fans kicking the crap out of each other in Cove at lunchtime on Sunday. Plenty of videos of that going around. Why aren't you talking about that? I did. The bars had to shut their doors, you know, and the guards couldn't cope with the amount of them there. It's a pity because otherwise the atmosphere was superb. It's always just a minority that wreck it for everybody. I didn't know that the bars had to shut their doors and the guards couldn't cope. I saw one bar- Vanguarda who certainly couldn't cope. I only saw that because it was captured on video. I was at a Treaty United Cork City match last year and the Cork fans were throwing fireworks into the home fans area. A woman got knocked out by the explosion. They were also throwing flares and fireworks onto the pitch. After the match, they went into the street and a massive brawl happened, says Killian. Yeah, but again, unfortunately, just a small amount of yobs and idiots, galoots that behave like that, thugs. Rest of the fans just want to see football. Everyone who follows Cork City knows that there's a mob mentality by people who go to these games. They try to cause as much trouble as possible. And one final one for now. Big response this morning. Listening to the lad from the GAA, the steward, is like comparing apples and pears. The GAA get funded to have 200 stewards. Cove or Cork City don't get the same government subsidies for volunteers. The GA get funding to do this and lots more besides. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Lots of other texts from programs over the last few days. I will come back to them throughout the course of the morning. Uh, Mary, good morning. 
morning. Okay, um, just on other topics that we've been discussing of late, uh, are you aware of all of the different changes that will be coming our way with regards to Bus Connect and the changes to the streets and city cityscape? Yeah, well, yes, I am, but um, our concern is for our community in Tory Tout Road. That's our concern at the moment. Okay, and what's the plan there that's got you upset and worried? Okay, the, 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 there is a proposal to have a new cycle lane on Tory Tout Road from the Tory Tout Bar side. Also, um, objections for um, parking on the opposite side. Firstly, it's the removal of 12 mature trees. So on the trees are going, road. parking spaces are going, going and cycle yes. lanes are going in. Cycle lanes are going in and basically we're not happy because um, we don't have many bikes going up the road. Um, our priority is the businesses, which we have a nice little community of five or six businesses, which employ over 63 people in total. That will affect their businesses. It will affect the schools on that side of the road for people parking and everything else like that. I suppose they um, want kids to cycle to school, maybe. They want people to cycle to and from work. They want customers to the businesses that you're describing to cycle to buy things. But they, they do want to cycle. Maybe they do, but we, we just don't think it's beneficial because you don't have many cycles up there. Also, we have only parking, a certain parking on that side of the road. And our main concern is also on the opposite side of the road, they want to remove the parking completely. So that will affect the schools, um, everything else. And we won't be able to park as a resident outside our place. We have a driveway, but most households have two cars for travelling to work. Also, we have an elderly community that um, people will be coming and collecting them. We also have a funeral home that they are telling us now that there's funerals. You cannot park outside a funeral, so you're to park on the opposite sides where there'll be a problem as well right. with parking with two cars. So that will bring it down to the lower roads. And what will we do when we have matches in Musgraves Park and Turner's Cross? Where do, par- where do people normally park for Musgrave ke- Park a game or concert? In the housing estates? Mostly, they, well, not mostly around the, the lower roads, but also on our side of the road that they, they want to get rid of the parking. Okay. There'll okay. be loads there. So when you're going to have the congestion of the matches, um, residents on the side that they want to take away the parking. But they want, um, they want parents not to be dropping their kids to school in cars and SUVs and all sorts of things. They want, with a better bus service, where a bus goes every 10 minutes and it goes faster, they want kids on the buses. But should the buses... I, I won't even start on the buses. We have a number three service there. That's a disaster. Yeah, but that's, we don't have a bus service a that dis- goes at the end of the road. Yeah, but that, they're saying that that's the reason it's a disaster, that the buses can't get around, that they need more road to do it faster and more efficiently. But it's not just the buses. We're on about our community in Tory Tot Road. If you stand at Tory Tot Road, you hardly see any bikes. There's hardly room for the cars going up and down the road. It's actually ramps we wanted at one stage. I know there's a zebra crossing that's coming in for the schools, but the schools were fighting for that for about 10 or 15 years. Any, and all of a sudden they were getting it. Okay. Any of you losing any of your gardens? No, we're not losing our gardens. Are you sure? Have you checked? Well, we have a meeting tonight in Torrey Top Road with the engineers. We have already looked at the maps 
some residents that we have been doing a petition and they told us that we won't be losing our gardens. But we have to confirm tonight because we have the businesses of Tory Top Road and the residents of Tory Top Road have arranged a meeting tonight at 7 o'clock. We have the councillors, Fiona Kearns, Mick Finn, Paddy Deneen, Sean Martin, Donica O'Leary hopefully will make it and we have the engineer that we want to confirm that everything that is on the map that we, 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 we want questions because we have already set a petition and sent it in from the different roads, Botanic Road, Clark's Road, Connolly Road, Kent Road, where it will affect every area. Yeah, you might dodge a bullet though and be lucky enough not to be losing a chunk of your front garden because a lot of other suburbs and routes will lose portions of their front garden because they want to widen the road where the garden would have been. I understand, but our priority at the moment is to try to fight for what we think I that we're no. not happy with yeah, yeah. and make make the same because it, I think it needs to be heard on the radio and said because just to tell them how we feel because we're not happy about it and stand up for our rights. Okay, good and stuff. We have a nice community in Tory Top Road. Absolutely, in regards to everybody out in Balafian. So 7 o'clock tonight at Balafian Community Centre. Ballyfihan Community Centre for people to air our views and that's that's what our concerns are. Okay, you'll have public reps there as well. Okay, thanks for that. Yes, Much obliged. I Happy to get you on. Your grant. Uh, yes. I think Donna Galero might be there. I certainly met him out at Nemo at the back end of last week at the public consultation uh, that was held at Nemo for Bus Connects. A huge amount of people there studying very carefully and asking lots of questions. And a lot of public reps I met there as well were themselves very worried and wondering where in the name of God is all this going to end up. Actually, I did hear that Donna Galero was making the news this morning. Did he say that going forward that the state shouldn't subsidize? private schools. I don't know, is that online? He made some comment about that this morning. Somebody was texting me saying that uh, Pauline from Douglas texted in to say that Sinn Féin clearly wants to close Prez, close Christians and close Skolvura and maybe also Rockborough Primary if they get into into government, that they won't subsidise private schools and that will lead to their closure. Uh, he's quoted as saying that he wouldn't subsidise private schools. Would that be the end of the Prez and the Christians, the Skolvura and what have you? Uh, okay, just stay, staying with cycling and this huge amount of interest in getting everybody out there cycling. Could you imagine that in the middle of winter, pedalling your bike in the wind and the rain? Apparently they're none too happy with a lot of cycling issues out in uh, in Balancholic areas as well. I was reading that the back end of last week. Amongst them is a resident and PR guru, Greg Canty. Morning, Greg. What's happening out there? Hi, Neil. How are you? Good, good to hear you. Um, actually, I'm listening very, very carefully and your previous caller. To be honest with you, I'm I know a lot of your listeners are going to be thinking, yeah, this is a bunch of residents concerned about their place. I nearly escalate that thinking. I'm really, really worried about the nature of this planning. In our situation, um, it's cycle lanes being rammed through that 100% will put people at risk, not only the residents, but people going through the place. It was confirmed to us that the plan was a desktop plan done by someone who didn't even visit the estate. It makes, makes no sense. We're really, really lucky, Neil, where we live, and that we have engineers, we have planners freaking out, we have um, environmental experts, and we have safety experts. And while what they're planning, you know, initially it was like, oh my God, you can't get rid of our roundabout. When you start picking through the bones of all this, you realise that nothing in that plan made any sense. And it's actually dangerous. So, I so okay. So tell me, why yeah. why is it dangerous? And who cyclists? Is it in what way dangerous? I mean, the whole yeah. idea is that the city will become. I mean, it's very cycle friendly now, but even more so. So, cycling and busing are the priorities going forward. So, we need to either fight back against that or accept it. 
Yeah, no, no, we want uh, a place where our, our kids and our neighbours can cycle into Ballancolling Village safely. But that must be safely. And, and Neil, this can come, you know, making a big risk for everyone else. We've got nice footpaths that can be extended without having to install cycle lanes. The, the actual plan that they've included, it's cycle lanes and let's exclude everything else. So in the plan, they want to get rid of a roundabout. Now, a roundabout, there's an EU study about junctions and roundabouts and all this kind of thing. Between 40 and 60% of accidents are caused at junctions. The solution most of the time is a roundabout. We have a roundabout, but the, the bright brainwave inside in Cork City Council, who put in this plan, wants to remove it to facilitate a cycle lane going through. The, their plan also has bollards. And obviously you think a bit logically, well, they look horrible and everything else. Bollards are to protect the cyclist. Again, we have a, some experts within our group. They're saying the amount of, uh, the width of what they're proposing isn't sufficient. Um, that once you install the bollards, they get a bit grimy and everything else inside, that the street sweepers can't clean them up. And the space that will be left for the person who's cycling will not be sufficient. So, because they'll be full of junk and litter and leaves and debris and crap. And is is all this bus connect related? Um, Do do you know, in this scenario, I actually don't think it is. I think it's facilitating this big agenda of, you know, active travel. Now, are you anti-cycling? Uh, I mean, oh, that... oh, God. Neil, I had a newspaper around for years and I cycled into town every day um, for six years into my job in the accountancy office when I was a young fella. Um, I'd probably wish there were cycle lanes and be honest with you. So we're not, we're not anti-cycling at all, but we're anti-someone trying to fix a problem that isn't there. There's no safety issues. I've been living in this estate now for 21 years. There's no incidents. There's no accidents. Well, what happens is, now our... This is the crazy thing. Within our estate, it's it's a thoroughfare for cars and trucks because it backs onto the motorway, exit two on the the link road to Ballancolic. No bicycles can use the motorway. So no traffic, no, while there's loads of cars and trucks, bicycles do not use it. And, you know, if you load the bike... Yeah, when you scale this thing up, actually, this this started with an American company. The bigger picture here with regards to bus connectors, it started with an American company who did the original plan. Then it was taken over by uh, the NTA and I guess they would have worked with Bus Aaron and what have you in Dublin. I asked a load of public reps on Thursday of last week, do they know, did anybody actually walk the routes and study them and go out into the community? And they couldn't answer that question to me. Did anybody talk to you or your fellow residents in the area about all of this? No, no, not at all. And even one of the councillors who lives in the estate, and by the way, he's the only councillor who actually responded to us in any way, um, a guy called Gareth Kelleher. He's actually confirmed to us that they didn't consult with the residents. And also, one of the simple things that happens in our estate during the school year is that the school buses collecting kids in the morning and dropping them off there was no allowance for that in the plan. So th- this is a blind plan. We need cycle lanes. We don't care where they're going or, or, or where the people are coming from. And, th- you know, and w- what I'd be saying in a very positive way, you know, pro-cycle um, lobby and everything else, put a big ask out to your listeners. Can you identify locations in Cork City 
where cycle lanes are needed and they would really improve the scenario for everyone. And I'm sure very, very quickly you'd have a load of people putting hands up and trying to grab the money that's being available for these projects. I'd be very surprised if that were the case. The majority of reaction that I get to cycling or cycle lanes on this programme is quite negative, that it's invasive, (laughs) that they're taken over, that... uh, People want to be able to get into their car when they want to. They want a better service of buses, for sure. They don't want people taking their front gardens and they don't want cycle lanes propping up everywhere, taking away on-street parking. That, that's the way I'd sum it up, you know? Yeah, do, do you know, you, you could be right. I think there's a whole aggressive... I mean, would you cycle <laughs> from Ballincollig to the South Mall, for instance? Uh, not, not a chance. Not and, a chance. And, and why not? Okay, so... Well, I think about going out of my estate will be the least of my worries. I'm going through the village. I probably wouldn't want to do that. That's quite a busy road. And then if you get through the village, then you're on the Caragrohan Strait, which has a mix. And, and by the way, Caragrohan is actually quite an interesting example because they actually mix footpaths with cycle lanes alongside each other. You know, not these one, ones with bollards and everything. So even down to our local estate, some of the things that they're trying to ram through are working good solutions. But if you had a, a dedicated cycle lane all the way, you're never impeded by a bus or a car or a pedestrian. It was just your lane. Would you then strap up your bit of paperwork on the back of the bicycle and cycle to work? Uh, if I thought that was a perfect solution, Neil, I probably would. But what you have to think about is that it needs to be in sympathy with all users. I know in our particular estate, if the proposal goes through as, as it's been proposed without changes, you will have cars trying to come out of every single estate with traffic flowing through quicker and what's going and, and without that critical roundabout that services I, I think pretty much half of the traffic in the estate. You're going to people trying to take risks getting out quickly. Um, and I don't think that's going to make it safer for cyclists pedestrians, even this plan deal to facilitate the cyclists, this will really blow your mind. They're removing uh, three pedestrian crossings. So we're going to sacrifice the ability for our children and ourselves. How are you going to cross the road? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and to to cross the road safely to facilitate a a cyclist zipping through. And and again, Neil, I, I need to stress about this one bringing traffic to one side of our estate is pointless because it goes onto a motorway and it actually goes onto a really, really narrow um, back road into Ballancolic, which you wouldn't send any man, woman or child on a bicycle on. So it's, it's a plan that was poorly thought out. It's been rammed through. And to be honest with you, we're, I, I'm on here with you. By pure luck, the, the, the kind of part B about Cork City Council is their process this plan was misnamed. We had a big meeting about it during the week. The only reason I found out about it was from one of the concerned residents. Um, we, we, we found out by pure accident. First of all, it was misnamed. It was called the, the Kuro Meadows Travel Scheme. It's actually Kuro, Kuro Meadows plus Greenfields. It's a Greenfields estate. Um, the amount of notice was very, very short. A lot of people had given out that they were on holidays. A website where you need to log your queries keep, keeps on crashing. Hmm. When you when you actually go on to log your query, it says there's been no submissions. So suddenly you're looking at the computer screen and you're thinking, am I going to be the only yeah. cranky so-and-so yeah. logging? But, but the truth is there's loads of queries, but it doesn't give you the information. 
Um, you we, think it's, they, it's 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 manufactured that way that this has been done in advance. All of this has been thought through in advance like that? Yeah, but, you know, it could be careless or it could be very deliberate, but I won't... You don't know if it's intentional. It it doesn't facilitate people. And when you pointed out, and this has been pointed out by Gary Keller, who did get onto the engineers looking for an extension, they refused it, despite knowing all of this stuff. So for me, 100%, they're ramming through this. And and I'm really saying because it's Ballancolic today and it can be somewhere else tomorrow. I'm annoyed. Well, you heard about Balafihan a few minutes ago and I've dealt with this from time to time over the last week or so. Okay, so will you be able to stop this or where are you going with it? Um, The the closing point for submissions is 4pm today. Even even that, Neil. The website says 4pm and there's another piece of documentation that says 5pm. God knows which. Uh, we have a meeting on the 24th of August. We've invited the councillors to come and listen to us. I thought that's the reason why you are a councillor so far. That's not the case. Yeah. We've also invited the, the, the planner in Cork City okay. Council to come and explain here. But I swear to God, we are doing this to help them to not make a huge mistake. Okay, it's okay. It's dangerous and, and it will cause trouble and accidents and everything else. Okay, thank you, Greg. I have to move on, but I am getting texts from other cool rural residents here saying they've been unable to enter submissions. The website is glitching regularly, they say. So you're not alone in that regard. There are other residents experiencing the same. Back after 11, text 0868104106. Thank you for making the Neil Prenderville Show the most listened to talk show in Cork. Again, Cork's Red FM. He's talking with a, a pensioner whose uh, energy costs are absolutely overwhelming on Friday. Now, she may or may not be, um, you know, in a situation where her bills are being overestimated at the moment because she's on a budget plan and she could get a rebate at the end of the year. But that's of little consequence when, you know, you've got a pension coming in and nearly half of the pension every week is going. And certainly in the winter will definitely be going uh, on electricity and on gas. Sounds near like as if she's being overestimated. She needs a neighbour or someone to read her meter and supply it and, and submit it. That's the problem with this direct debit billing. She might get a surplus back at the end of the year. Um, I'm wondering if your listeners have any similar issues when it comes to house insurance. Yeah, I mean, they and car insurance jump as well. I have no idea why it is that when you go to renew your car insurance, you would be paying more this year than last year. Uh, because if anything, people were driving less over the last couple of years. There were less claims because there were less cars on the road. But insurance companies seem to think that it's okay to put another 100, 150, 200 or 250 on an insurance renewal. And don't even talk to me then when you query it. Um, I had a situation last week with one of the insurance policies in our own house. Uh, one of the car policies was always with AXA year after year after year. Great company, never had an issue with them. Um, in fact, you could call them up and say, listen, there's anything you can do with the premium. And they always find a bit of regal room and drop it. So I'd encourage everybody to ring your insurance provider. <sighs> if you can get onto them. So here's what happens with AXA. You call their 0818 number and you go through all of the rigmarole of pushing one, two, three, four. You do all of that stuff. You get through it. You have this really annoying music that they play. We all know it. Um, it's annoying because it's free and they don't have to pay any royalties on it, but it would wreck your head holding. And then you were told that you could be 10 minutes waiting or you're 29 in the queue and the wait time is 10 minutes. Um, on Thursday, it was a Thursday afternoon, I stayed on hold with AXA for around about 45, 50 minutes. Um, 
and it's all right if you can do other things while you're doing it. But if you're, you know, some some people just can't and they're just waiting and waiting and waiting. I was able to kind of do another few things, tipping around, but you're still 45 or 50 minutes on with this person coming back every five minutes, apologizing for the wait, apologizing for the wait, your business is important to us, etc. So I, I then ended up Googling AXA to see if there was a local number for local Cork branch. Um, and I found one, an 021 number that you can call. So after about 45 minutes on the 0818 number, the national AXA number, I hung up and I rang the 021 number, right? The 021 number dialed and lo and behold, where am I? Back on the same number again that I had spent 45 minutes on hold for and the same rigmarole started all over again. So I waited about 15 minutes on that one and then I hung up. So it's not a local number. It's just a local number that diverts you to the same number that you'll be waiting for an age. So at the end of the day, and it's probably a very little consequence, but it could well be happening to them left, right and centre because I couldn't get on to anybody to say, why is the insurance premium 200 euro dearer? Can you do anything about it? I just sent them an email and said, please cancel the direct debit. I'm not going to be renewing. And AXA lost the business, all because they don't answer phones. And it's a bit, it's a bit like the tricks I was telling you earlier on that banks use so the customers don't come into the bank anymore, you know, by making sure that they don't have enough staff on to deal with you, by not repairing and servicing ATM machines uh, more efficiently. You know, they call them nasty tricks that they use. But I think businesses will find that they're going to lose customers if they don't have a system where you can actually pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Anyway, that's just one example. I can give you loads of other examples of bad customer service. I'd come back to other stories if you happen to share. Email neil at redfm.ie. I wonder if your listeners have any similar issues to me when it comes to house insurance. Myself and my sister are living in our family home that we lived in our whole lives since the day we were born. Our father passed away in 2000 and our mother in 2017. The insurance was in the executor's name in 2019 and that cost €778. But when we put our names on it in 2020, it was €1,200. There wasn't much of an increase in 2021, but now in 2022, it has gone to €1,620 for house insurance, right? So in 2019, it was an exorbitant €778. And in two years, it went to 1620 I mean, what are you insuring? Have you anything extra on the policy, like loads of diamond jewellery? expensive things or is that just a flat house insurance premium that's a jump of from 778 to 1620 and I don't know why our insurance company won't give us any answers they simply say take it or leave it before you ask a claim has never been made even in my parents time me and my sister have been living in the house our whole lives I just want answers and a reason for this huge increase And also, could you ask your listeners, is anyone else experiencing this? An increase in two years from 778 to 1620. That's over 100% incidentally. Text 0868104106. Can I just also mention a story that, and I'll come back to that, but a story that I saw on the Independent over the weekend. um, 
I don't. Do you have the screen grab of that actually? Because it was it was quoting some figures with regards to lack of taxis. Uh, on uh, I think this was a national story. The more and more taxi drivers uh, are not um, less and less taxi drivers are working at night, and that's causing an awful problem with regards to people trying to get about. But I know in the Independent article they quoted Michael O'Donovan, who's the VFI. Um, a spokesperson here on Leeside. She's in the Castle Inn in the heart of the city. He joins me by phone. Michael, good morning. Morning, Neil. I'm I trying to find the actual headline in the Independent. I might be able to find it on my own phone. It was quoting 29%. What was the, the figure 29%? That 29% of driver, taxi drivers are working nights, is it? Yes, 29% is what the survey showed uh, um, taxi drivers working at night. I suppose what we're seeing is it twenty nine percent of Cork taxi drivers working at night. No, it, it, that was a figure, uh, Neil. But it, it is representative of here in Cork as well as as it is around the country uh, and colleagues all over the country. You know, uh, night things. I suppose people are working more during the day. Work from home. Taxi drivers are are working during the day because they're ferrying documents. You know, to house uh, from offices. Um, and like talking with taxi drivers, there is great business during the day at the moment for them. Um, and unfortunately, they're all working, a lot of them are working during the day. And the knock-on effect is that there's fewer of them working at night time. And that has a knock-on effect for us. Because, it says in the article, uh, drivers aren't safe at night. Yeah, they look, I can't answer for the drivers themselves. But the impact it's having on our business, people just aren't uh, coming out because they're not... I suppose they're feeling that it's a it's a struggle to come home. Okay. No, I, I know you're looking at through your eyes and the eyes of your customer. You're dead right, but I just I don't mean to overlabor the point. But they're saying that 29 percent of taxi drivers will only work night because the rest of them are afraid to work at night. Yeah. Look, I suppose uh, talking with taxi drivers, there is. I suppose it's it's like in a lot of businesses in Ireland. It's an aging cohort that ho- that hold licenses and what is that a lot of them work during the day because it's, it's easier work during the day than working at night time uh, for the age cohort that is there. Um, uh, that big thing, if you're a taxi at night time, probably is going to be a younger taxi Cases Just move around a little bit there, Michael. I wonder. I mean, I'd gladly talk to, to taxi drivers on it um, as to why they feel at risk. Because I suppose there'd be a lot of drink on board. Maybe people would be arguing the fare, or they might be getting sick in the back of the taxi, or they might be afraid of being robbed. All of the above, I suppose. What impact is it happening then on people who can't get a taxi after a night out? Yeah, look, what we're seeing at the moment is look in the city and suburbs. People are really going. They're making sure that they either get a taxi around 11 o'clock that they have the option of getting the last bus. So a lot of people are going out of town or going out to the suburbs earlier uh, because the knock-on effect that they might have gone out once or twice and might have had to walk home. So they're just being careful that they have a, a route home. So they, they go for their cab at 11 o'clock. We have many stories from publicans that they ring, you know, 9 o'clock looking for a taxi. It might be an hour, an hour and a half that they're waiting to get a, to get a taxi for customers to go home. So it's having a, a knock-on effect for businesses. Because and is that primarily at the weekend, is it? Um, people aren't... It, 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 it's every night, Neil. It's nearly, to be honest, uh, talking with publicans, it's worse during the week, really, because there's fewer taxis out at night time during the week, at the weekends, because they know there's a, a mass out there. There is uh, There's more taxis available. Like people... Yeah, you're breaking up again on me there. I was reading in the article that um, the Independent was saying the lack of late night taxis is prompting fears about public safety, particularly for young women who would be at risk being forced to walk home 
or being left alone in the city late at night? Yeah, look, working the same uh, uh, and I drive Saturdays and Sundays and it's become, you know, really evident when I drive out the south side of the city or which route I keep people walking further and further out. Uh, I, 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 I'm losing you again there. I, do, do you observe going home late after closing women walking on their own in isolated areas? I can't say I've observed women on their own, but I've definitely seen groups of people walking out uh, out of the city, you know, and, and trying to hail taxis that are coming back in. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I shouldn't just talk about women, incidentally, because men are also at risk on their own, of course. They could be robbed, they could be beaten up, and we've heard of that in, in the city all too often. Um, what about bus services? Like, is there no 24-hour service? Look, there, there's a handful of them. Uh, the, I suppose um, the bus service operated late on busy weekends, i.e. jazz coming up to Christmas, and it's really, really successful and Look, we've 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 had conversations with them, and look, we're hoping that it will be reinstated because it was a great uh, it was a great benefit for the city, really. Yeah. Do you ever think about Uber? Yeah. Look, we've had that conversation before, Neil, and I I think look in my article there on the Independent, I did say that maybe in you know regions where there isn't the take up of taxis, that it might be something to be considered. Uh, to have um, to have Ubers available because look if you're if you're in West Cork East Cork there is a severe um, lack of taxis and look it, it's a conversation I think we need to be having. But wasn't there a conversation in the past where um, the Taxi Federation ruled it out and they lobbied very strongly against Uber? There's no Uber service in, in Ireland, sure there's not. I mean it's not as if no, yeah, no, it's not in Dublin. Not. It's not in Dublin and not in Cork. It isn't anywhere. No, it's it's nowhere in the country. But look, we're at a, a point now. I think where we have to look have the conversation again because, uh, especially in rural Ireland, you know, it's very difficult to get out and about. Um, like you have to have a designated driver if that's not available. Look, it, it's it's very hard to get out. So there be Uber um, drivers but, everywhere. Are Uber drivers guard vetted? Uh, to my knowledge, they're not. But look, I suppose. What uh, what we'd be hoping is that look a conversation could be had and we uh, structure could be set up and possibly that they could be guard vetted for that area okay, um, okay. and they'd have to stick to a, a certain area uh, forever that, wherever they're allowed to operate. Yeah, yeah. But would that be a policy of the VFI? Are they actively, you know, encouraging um, legislation to pass and allow Uber drivers? Uh, look, it's, it's not a policy. Um, it's a purview for that. Uh, you know, that's not what do we're there to represent our members, but it is an issue that comes no, up. No, but you know, if you make your patrons safer, would you advocate, are you in favour of Uber in Cork? Look, if it helps people get out and about, Neil, absolutely we would, uh, I suppose, as willing to sit down and talk about it. Because, look, we work with the taxis and our business, so we would have to have a conversation about it, but where we are right now, it is affecting our business. Uh, the lack okay. of taxes. Okay. Okay, okay, we, we, we muddled our way through it. Not a, not a great phone line, Michael, but we got there in the end. Thank you for taking the call. I, I'll let you go because it's not a great phone line. Michael O'Donnell from the VFI. Bob McAuliffe has a taxi. Uh, he owns a taxi with, the, I think it's with the co-op. Is that right, Bob? Uh, no, uh, not anymore. Um, <clears throat> Neil, I, uh, I operate a taxi tour company. Uh, due to health reasons, I'm no longer driving, uh, which I miss, to be dead honest. 
But uh, I listened to the conversation and I have a couple of points to make. Okay. As to rural Ireland, uh, I live in rural Ireland. I live in a little village called Glanworth. <clears throat> now, we made a submission two years ago to the NTA. And one part of that submission was that rural pubs, rural publicans, should be given a license to operate a minibus uh, that would be self-funding, basically. Um, they could pick up their clients, bring them in. They could have a driver on it to bring them home. They could all, that bus could also be used to do uh, school runs for children to and from those villages. <clears throat> so it would be a self-financing thing. Uh, but that got nowhere. The, but, the VFI didn't even bother answering us when we suggested it. But it does happen in rural pubs where they do drive customers home, doesn't it? Yes, they do. They do. <clears throat> Mike, our point was, you know, give them a license. No. Um, everybody's saying that there's a shortage of taxis. There will be a big shortage of taxis next year. Why? Because you're going to have 5,000 taxis coming off the road when they hit the nine-year limit age and they have to be replaced and they're going to have to be taken off the road. Okay, and, now, and actually I did read that. It said, it's estimated that we will have the expulsion of 5,300 cars in the industry. Taxi representative groups say cars that were parked up for two years shouldn't be forced out of the fleet and drivers should get more time to earn more money to buy a new car. Um, why are they being forced out? Is there a 10-year rule or something? Yes, on a taxi? there is. Yes. There's a, no, here's the crazy thing. There's a 10-year rule on a taxi, but there's no age limit on a limousine. Now, but why, but would you have a 10 year, why would you have a 10-year rule on a taxi that can pass its NCT? Well, you better ask the NTA, because it makes no sense. <clears throat> like, you have taxis in London that are 30 years old. You have black cabs in London, 30 years old that are still operating today, and some of those vehicles have over half a million miles on the clock. Yeah, but they're and perfectly they're fine. Why, they in the name of God, are we... Scra- so, so the car would be allowed to be sold to drive as a private, but not as a taxi yep. after 10 years. Sure, like, there's yes. going to be chaos um, next year, then. And there will. And here's the crazy thing. Like, they will trot out that there's... Um, there's an EV grant for drivers to, that they can upgrade their vehicles to an electric vehicle. Sounds great. The grant expires in three months after it's granted to you. You go down, do me a favor and ring Johnson & Perrott and ask them what is the waiting time on buying a new MG EV at the moment. What's an MG EV? An MG, uh, the MG uh, EV5 is... Uh, suitable as a taxi, right? It's a new electric vehicle. Ring them and ask them what's the waiting time on getting one of those. Well, what if I were to ask what's the, the waiting time months. on any electric vehicle? About six months. Okay, okay. So, six so and 12. if you buy in, in, uh, a Nissan at the moment, if you go and try and order a new Nissan, um, I think it's between nine and 12 months. That's because of the, the chip, uh, isn't it? The missing chip that they can't get. <clears throat> It's the missing chip. It's the production of the the batteries. 
It's a lot of different okay. reasons. Okay, so there are 30% fewer taxi drivers working in Ireland today than 10 years ago. Uh, on top of that, an estimated 40% of taxi drivers haven't gone back since the pandemic. And 29% of those that have gone back since the pandemic are only working at night. Should we be having a conversation in this country and here in Cork where we legislate and allow Uber drivers? Uber operate in this country. They uh-huh. operate in Dublin, but they operate within the framework of the, the licensing laws for driving a public service vehicle. That's not so Uber, though. Uber is me working yeah, no, at night. It is, no, Neil, it is Uber. It is a Uber, but it operates legally within the framework. That Can I get onto an Uber app in this country and order an Uber? Yes, you can in Dublin and you can in Cork. As far as I know, it is now in Cork, but I do know that it does operate in Dublin. There's no Uber in Cork, man. There isn't, like, there might be in Glanworth, but there isn't in Cork. No. Tell you what you do. Download the app, the Uber app, and you will see that you can operate, you can book the Uber taxi in Dublin today. Now, as to Cork, you will have to ask Uber why they haven't come to Cork. But they do operate in Dublin. And if you look, you will, if you... um, if you go and look, you will see that they're advertising on taxis in Dublin. They're branding them the same as Freeno or My Taxi or Halo or whatever else, Bolt, uh, Lyft. Uh, they're, no, they're entirely different situations. That's not Uber. They're completely different companies. <clears throat> no, 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 hold on. Uber is operating in Dublin. Okay, well, I, can't, I have the Uber app in front phone. of me, but I can't order a Dublin Uber because I'm in Cork and they're saying yep. that it does not operate in your location. Yes, it doesn't. That's not down to us. That's down to Uber. But I you, can get your... You tell- okay, no, okay, but you're telling me that if I'm in Stevens Green right now, I can go into the Uber app and it'll take me in an Uber to Balls Bridge, for instance. Yes, but it will be in a licensed taxi. Okay. But uh, Uber does operate in Ireland and has operated in Ireland for the last five years. Now, you see, Neil, here are the issues. There's a lot of people who, during the pandemic, suddenly realized that they have a far better quality of life by not working nights. There is no um, dedicated transport police so when a taxi driver does have an issue with night, he can wait up to 45 minutes for the guards. And this is no reflection on the guards. They're stretched to the nines. <clears throat> right? But <clears throat> why... Yeah, and when you, you look, I'm looking at Uber now in Dublin and it's saying, just on a final point here, you can go onto the Uber app and it does give you uh, options, but all of them are actual licensed taxis. Yes, it is. Yep. Okay, all right. <laughs> because okay. they have to operate within the framework that everybody else operates in Ireland. Okay, but there are taxis already on the road. There are taxis already yeah. on the road, and those drivers making a living using it. But there are also taxi drivers. <laughs> Uber, Uber yeah. traditionally is your car, my car, Seamus's car, Kevin's car, anybody listening to this program's yes, car. Yes, right? and okay. look at the number right. of complaints about Uber drivers, the number of times that they have covered up or ignored 
assaults on people by their drivers okay. who are not vetted by the police. Not, not vetted. The traditional vetted, Uber yeah. driver is not vetted or have guard clearance. Uh, just on the point then of only 29% of taxi drivers working nights, that's because you say they are not safe and don't feel safe. <clears throat> A lot of drivers don't. But on top of that, Leon, uh, Neil, there is a, a very simple uh, possible solution here, right? Which they, if the government um, made a viable case to the insurance companies for drivers to put a second driver on their vehicle. If you go back to before deregulation, every taxi had a cozy, Right. <clears throat> You had 418 taxis in Cork City prior to deregulation. And the majority of those taxis worked 24 hours a day at the weekend. So there was a a full complement of taxis out there. Now, to replace taxis working 24 hours a day at that time, with taxis with one driver, meant that you would have to have a thousand taxis to replace those 400. Right. <clears throat> now, it makes logical sense for the NTA and the, the government to put pressure on the insurance companies to allow somebody to put a second driver in the car at a reasonable cost. Are you saying that you when can't run not- a taxi in Cork 24 hours a day anymore? Well, you can if you want to pay... 2,000 or 2,500 to put a second driver on on top of your own policy. On the car insurance? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. It's insurance <laughs> no, then it's is... pre. it's not viable. Yeah. It's okay. not viable. Okay, okay, okay. And how many taxis do we have now? In Cork? Yeah. Um, as far as I remember, uh, on the last survey, there was 1,200 taxis, uh, just 1,200 operating in the county of Cork. Okay, 1,200 taxis. And what about Hackney's? When uh, when the taxi industry deregulated, the majority of Hackney's transferred across onto taxi plates. Right. So the Hackney's disappeared. Now, you can get a, what's called a rural Hackney plate. Right. But that allows you to work within the limited area of where you live. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Now, um, you know, like I'm part of the NTF, which is National Taxi Forum, which is basically just, uh, it's a lobby group on behalf of taxi drivers. And what would be the one main thing that you wish to lobby that would encourage more taxi drivers to work 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. or what? Well, the, the one thing I would be saying is that one, drivers need to feel safe to be out there, um, which needs a dedicated transport police. Taxi driver in um, Galway stabbed after a fright broke out between passengers in his car last week. Taxi driver yeah, stabbed. When, yeah, when somebody is brought to court for assaulting a taxi driver, it needs to be treated properly. This thing of giving somebody, telling somebody to put 500 euros into um, the charity box instead of giving him a three-month sentence is wrong. If you want taxi drivers to work at night, you have to make those people feel that they are safe and they're protected. Okay, well, put a perspex barrier barrier between the taxi driver and the passengers in the back. Okay, you go... 
you put that into your car, you go to do your suitability and you're going to fail. <clears throat> because unless it's passed by the manufacturer of your vehicle, it's going to fail. But right now, only 30% of the day, in any given day, only 30% of taxi drivers in Cork are working after 8 o'clock at night. Weird. Yep. Weird. Okay. And, Neil, that was, there was never, um, like, always there was more taxis working by day than by night. Right? That hasn't changed. No, the numbers have changed and have gone down. But people have realized that there's enough work out there by day that they can have a better quality of life, that they're not, they're not out there for 10 hours at night. Then, and, that's fine. Know, then allow, what, what about, I mean, I don't mean to be annoying or wrecking the heads of taxi drivers, but if only 30% of them want to work at night, why not allow Uber to operate at night? Well, the other alternative, like at the moment, the NTA have a, a, they have a, a thing going at the moment where they're trying to recruit more people into the industry. <coughs> You know, here's a simple answer. Allow the, the licenses that are being allowed to lapse, are being allowed to die, allow the drivers to, to sell them on. Sell them on, yeah. At a reasonable price. Because right now when you retire or die, that dies with you. Unless you deed that, that license to somebody else who has, and here's the thing, if you deed it across to somebody, that person has to have a PSV license for that license to stay alive. Okay, all right. All right, right, I covered so an offside. Yeah. your wife in that okay. is a waste of time. All right, okay, let me get some more texts and calls on that and lots more. But thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. You answered a lot of questions for me. Back after the break, Morris is standing by. Oh, okay, I'll do it quickly then ahead of the ad break because he's under pressure. Morris, good morning. Good morning. I think, you're picking, you? I think you're picking up a fare. You're a taxi driver. What about Uber? Uh, what about Uber? Let's, let's start at the start, Neil. Um, it's, it's undoubtedly that we have a problem with people getting home at night. And it's not the problem, it's what's caused this problem, really, that we should be addressing. The NTA have buried their heads in the sand, as usual, because the last things that, you know, people uh, like them want to do is make a decision on anything. Mm, they're busy um, with Bus Connect at the moment, anyway. So, yeah. so they, they don't, so let's just, let's just say that Bus Aaron, for instance, Bus Aaron, I just quickly looked there, they got 34 million in subvention last year from the government, okay? The... The taxi industry nets the, the NTA about five million per year and licenses and transfers and so on. So we contribute net into their budget. Yet we don't get any funding. We don't get any assistance. Okay, they give us free licenses for two years. Big deal. We still have to make our payments and our cars. No business. You get a t- isn't, there a tw- uh, isn't there a taxi fare increase coming? And yes, it was and well overdue, coming, incidentally. Neil, and it's, it's, well, it's five years, Neil. And ironically, we talk about inflation. The last time we updated our meters, it cost 60 euro. It's now costing 120 euro. Yeah, that wouldn't so surprise you in this country. Yeah, yes. Total gouging. But so, why are only 29% of drivers working at night? Would you work at night, Neil? No, I present a program during the day. I mean, if I, yes, in, but, in, but, you but know, if I was requested to do a nighttime program, I'd answer... What? But if, if Red FM came along to you and said, okay, Neil Prendival, we're going to give you maybe 14 or 15% more to do a night show, a full night show, would you do it? No. Well, yeah, my point is everybody really wants to work by day. I suppose naturally it's a better environment to work by day. Would you agree? Yeah, well, so I mean, that's, it's why, like, yeah, that's apples and oranges, really. I, I mean, I, mean I, don't, I don't have a public is. service vehicle that brings people home safely or does whatever you they don't, want. You know. But you don't also have, you're not also self-employed. So your boss tells you when to show up, Neil. 
Um, we're self-employed people. We decide what hours we work. I know that, work and, and I'm not, I'm not, busy. I'm not giving any grief about that because it, I'm just curious as to why only thirty percent of drivers work at night. Is it because they feel there's more money during the day? Is it because they no, feel unsafe you're, you're at night? Point. Neil, you're, you're not listening to me. Yes, safety, and it's more natural to work during the day. It's it's more natural. It's better for you, and you want to be at home in your bed at night. Now we've all done nights. Everybody that starts in our business, and some people stay on on nights and they choose nights. But it's just gone crazy out there at night. I don't know if you've been around town at half past two, three o'clock in the no. morning. And when, I, by the way, our, our draconian laws kick everybody out on the streets at two o'clock in the morning. No, I haven't. But you, but you clearly joke. have. So how bad is it? I'm not going to sensationalise, Neil. I'd just, I'd, I'd invite you some night. Myself, yourself, maybe Bob Lynch or someone. We'll drive around some night and just show you what it's like, OK? Uh, the level of respect is, is zero for, for taxi drivers. You know, we're just seen solely as someone to get you home and you're, you're just, a, you know, you're just a, 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 an item on the street. But you're, we're getting away from the fact that I rang you about. OK. There are no night buses, Neil. There yeah. are no night buses, yet nobody is saying to bus Aaron or the VFI rep that you had on there, he admitted that bus, buses at night are a great job. Why aren't you trying to push the agenda of night buses instead of Uber? Ah, well, I'm just throwing Uber out there. I'm not, I'm not suggesting oh, that... You're just throwing bus, 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 night buses out I did. I asked why the question. I did. I asked the question, well, are why there... Why don't you get out to bus Aaron and ask bus Aaron why haven't we got night buses? Well, ironically, night buses can carry 60 people at a time. We can carry four or eight. So they would do a better job of Spot on. I 100% agree with you. And it is a question that I will put them. For sure I will. But for those, for those that aren't working at night, can their taxis be used by others who would work at night? Do you know what no, I mean? It's, it, Neil, the NTA have totally just lost track of our business. They've lost track of how we operate. They've lost, they've lost touch with us. If you're coming in to me, if you said to me tomorrow morning, I want to do a few nights to make a few extra bob, like always happened before with people doing a bit of part-time, you'd probably start paying about 4000 per year insurance right. to drive my car, okay? Which really doesn't make a whole pile of sense. I can't sell you my license, which, by the way, incidentally, when I bought, I could sell you, yeah. but now I can't sell you. Yeah. They've just moved the goalpost in their favour so many times, Neil, that drivers are just saying, you know what, I'll do what suits me now. I have no real... I, I have no real care. I have to look after myself, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know? So if we could make it safer for taxi drivers, that would make a difference. If there were more 24-hour through-the-night buses, that would make a difference. Um, of course it would. But, it would all make a difference. Yeah, but, 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 but right now, we are the only country that, that I know of, I'm, I'm sure there might be one or two others that I can't spring to mind right now, where, where I could just get the Uber app and, you know... Oh, no, Neil, you're, you're wrong there. There are many countries that have banned Uber. You, there are many that have it, but there are many that don't allow Uber. We have no reason to have Uber here if the NTA got their, got their head out of their you-know-where and looked and said, OK, let's issue some licences. You know, Neil, if you wanted to start in our business tomorrow, you're probably looking at six or seven grand insurance starting off. You have to buy a wheelchair vehicle which is less than three years old. So you're going to look at maybe a 45 grand investment on your first year. Yeah. Would you be prepared to do that? No, that's Whereas insane. when I came into the game 12 or 13 years ago, I bought a car for four grand, I bought a license for five and my insurance was a thousand. 
But so, is it, yeah, so, no, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you, financially, no, I agree with you on that. But they say that 40% of taxi drivers haven't gone back since the pandemic um, and that the older drivers don't feel safe driving taxis well, because the well, virus well, continues to circulate. It's, it's Of course. Naturally, we waste drivers every year. And when I, when I say that respectfully, people, people pass on or people retire. Uh, they don't say about nobody came in in the last two years either because they stopped doing tests. They, st- they closed the test stations, so no new drivers came in. There was a trickle of new drivers, let's say, but no real new drivers come in. If, if it's so great a business and if there's so much demand at night and so much money to be made, why aren't people coming into it, Neil? Why have 40% not come back since the pandemic? Have they I, just... I can't answer that, Neil. I, I don't know. I, I, I worked through the pandemic. I can't answer okay. that. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But the vintners the point... are saying that the lack of late night taxis is prompting fears now within publicans about public safety trying to get home look, or walking look, home or walking around the, the city tonight. The vintners are beating their drum with years, Neil. And you know what? Uh, good luck to the vintners. Um, the man said that he works hand in hand with us. I've, n- I've never heard of much much cooperation between the taxi drivers and the vintners. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Uh, the vintners kick them out in the street and we bring them home, Neil. That's that's what it is, basically. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. All, all I'd say is I came on to make the point that you should be you should be maybe going after Bus Aaron, who, as I say to you, are a semi-state company and last year received over 30 million in subvention to bring you and your kids home. Good point. Well Good. made. Thanks for sharing, Morris. I'll let you get on. Appreciate Thanks, your thoughts Thank and you. your input. Bye Text 0868 104 Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red indeed. FM. Uh, back to the Ramblers City uh, match. I was in Cove with my 10-year-old son. I was in the square before the match. There were lots of City fans there and they seemed to be very well behaved. Glad to hear it. And again, back to the point that it isn't all fans. You'll just have a a uh, collection of them. It's such a shame that only a handful of people ruin events like this. I was at the game myself with my young child and it was a great day and a great game. Billy and the Cove Ramblers Club are great and do so much for the likes of penny dinners and charities. People causing troubles are ruining it for everyone else. Uh, just two or three more. It seems the best advice is not to take your children to these football games because the clubs seem to be blaming the parents as usual. The reality is these Mickey Mouse clubs have pure fools following them. Well, there you go. Another generalised uh, comment, uh, which, of course, is not reflective of uh, all soccer fans. The minute Cork and Cove were drawn in the cup, the tie should have been moved to Turners Cross with Cove designated as the home team. The ground in Cove's too small for such a game to be hosted safely. Uh, the fact that cash was taken after tickets were sold online was another recipe for disaster. And one final one. Whoever sent that text saying City fans had no access to water or food is lying. There was a shop in the away end for the fans. Fair enough. Read out the text, but at least fact fact check them first. Good point. Um, we do the best we can, but there are so many, and the and the uh, scale and speed at which they come in. You can't be going around checking whether there are bottles of water in this end or the bottles of water on that end, but you have an opportunity to correct it. And that's as good as fact-checking, so thank you for your contribution. Text 0868 We'll come back to all of the business, but uh, can I just say that we continue to give away our family passes for various Cork tourist locations right across the city, suburbs and county, and today is no exception. To those of you that have won them and used them, I hope that you enjoyed uh, and I want to delve in and just chat with more of those uh, tourists Tourist uh, attractions this week and across the month of August, and today is no exception. Today, it's family passes uh, for Spike Island, uh, and I want to chat, and I have done on many occasions in the past with John Crotty, who's the manager of Spike, and he joins me by phone. John, good morning. 
Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm great, and thanks a million for the passes. I do appreciate it. How's the summer been so far for you? Yeah, not bad, Neil. Obviously, brilliant to get people back uh, uninterrupted for the first time in a few years. So great to see international visitors and domestic all around. Okay, like where are they? I mean, clearly we want Corkonians go, but who's back? Like Europeans, Americans? Cruise liners, yeah, numbers, like Neil. Yeah, we are seeing the cruise liners coming back into Cove. Uh, not as strong, obviously, as 2019, but you're definitely getting a general favour of each country starting to build back up now. Yeah, which is great. And as years, as the next year passes and the year after, hopefully we'll be back to pre-pandemic and everything. But you've invested huge money there. I read some a couple of years back that there was a big financial investment in it to drive Spike on, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Uh, 2016, uh, Fort Ireland and Cork County Council invested six and a half million between them. And, uh, you know, with so much history here, it needed that, Neil. You know, there was so much to tell from the different prisons, from the different military element. So a big investment, but I think Cove is starting to see that uh, return now with as much as six million a year being put back into the Cove economy. It's fantastic. Now, the trip to Spike will take you back, what, 1,300 years? Yeah, spot on, right back to the time of St. Makuda when there was a monastery on the island. Uh, that's the first recorded history we have and we, it's actually been recorded ever since, which is quite a claim for any part of Ireland. Now, what will you see? If I were to arrive there after my 12-minute return ferry, get out in the ferry, who am I met and how does it start? So we offer everybody a guided tour, Neil. It's, uh, it's the only way to really deep dive into the history of the island. Uh, the guide, uh, we call them storytellers here because they're so fabulous at sharing the history that we have. Uh, they'll take you past the island village. So first and foremost, you're learning about the people who lived on the island. And there was a thriving community for over 200 years uh, in the British and the Irish time. Uh, they'll then take you on as far as the fortress, which was built in the late 1700s. Uh, that's an epic undertaking. Uh, that's 24 acres in size, the largest of its type in the world, and there's actually never been a larger fortress uh, uh, since it's the largest airship fortress ever built. That was obviously the British, wasn't it? It was a part of their protection, wasn't it? time when they Absolutely. built Absolutely, you know, Cork, yeah, Cork was so important, you know, Cork really was uh, ground zero for British interests when it came to defending themselves from the threat of Napoleon and France and Spain, yeah. so the fortress, it actually cost well over a billion in modern money to build, uh, it's possibly the most expensive building in Irish history, uh, we're realising now, because you can actually fit two football stadiums inside in it, so the scale really is off the scale. Not just on Spike, of course, but a lot, a lot of the, the headlands all around Cove on both sides had James's Fort and Charles's Fort. They had forts everywhere. But the one on Spike is, is incredible. Um, of course, it had a very, very checkered and sad history. It was a prison for a long, long time and certainly during, uh, during the time of famine, wasn't it? It was, yeah, and it, it is a difficult time, absolutely, Neil. You know, there was, it was a prison on four separate occasions, uh, originally back to the time of Cromwell in the 1600s, but it's the Victorian era prison which opened in 1847 that really captures the imagination uh, because that actually became the largest prison in the world and there's never been a larger prison before or since in Britain or Ireland. So again, the scale of it is just enormous. and unfortunately, Why did they the need suffering. the biggest prison in the world in Spike? It was the famine that drove that, Neil. You had so many people being arrested. Uh, convictions went up by about 400%. Uh, the amount that they were being arrested for petty crimes, just theft of food, theft of ordinary items like handkerchiefs to try and stay alive. So they needed somewhere to put them, and Spike Island was the answer to that problem. And did they ultimately then face transportation to Botany Bay and Tasmania and 
Australia? They did, they did in those early years they were being sent away it was certainly the majority were being sent across to Australia, uh, would you believe as many as 10% of the modern Australian population can trace their history back to Cork Harbour specifically and a lot of them came from Spike Island cells And part of so the tour, can you get into the convict cells and, and what have you? You can. We're very lucky. Uh, when the doors closed in 1883 to that prison, it wasn't used for anything else. So it was a treasure trove for the archaeologists and the visitors can actually go in there now and see exactly what it looked like in the punishment block cells. And then, of course, there was a lot of uh, Fenians there and, as, as is called in your, in your brochure, rebels and revolutionaries, the likes of John Mitchell and the like, who were also jailed there. And, and were, were any of them executed out there? No, fortunately, we were never used as a place for executions. Uh, Cork Prison uh, in the city was the actual place you would have been taken to if you were going to be executed. So no hangings, none of that side of it. But there was plenty that didn't make it off the island. Uh, There's as many as 1,300 still on the island who died here while supposedly in the care of the state. But the the conditions are awful, so the death rate was very high. Did anybody actually manage to get off it? No? They did. There were some fabulous escapes in 1921 uh, when the Irish rebels that you mentioned there were being held there. Uh, we held about 1,200 Irish rebels and one in particular, a guy called Tom Malone, he was uh, very much on the most wanted list and they were keen to make a break for it. So they organised a daring escape where a boat came across from Cove and he managed to evade his uh, sentries with two other men. Uh, one of those men was actually the brother of Terence McSweeney, uh, of course, the former Lord Mayor of Cork. So uh, a couple of daring escapes in our history. They're very interesting. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, it really is a full afternoon, isn't it? Because there's a fantastic nature and walking trail all over a spike itself with stunning views back into the harbour and over to, to Cove and up the channel. When, when I was out there some years ago, UCC were there and they were doing some grave excavation. What was that about? So they actually spent seven summers here in Totenhill. There was so much for them to look into. Uh, They specifically were excavating the bodies of the convicts in the 1800s, trying to understand what these people were dying of and what the conditions were like for those poor souls. Oh my God, it's incredible, isn't it? It really and truly is. And then, of course, we move up to not too long ago. There's a a section in the brochure that talks about um, when it was being used as a prison again. I think the the terminology used in the brochure was uh, the Joyriders prison. Yeah, that's right. It's often called the Young Offenders Prison as well, because when it opened in 1985, it was a response to the joyriding epidemic that was uh, plaguing Cork and Dublin. So again, you had a situation where they were arresting more than they knew what to do with. So Spike Island was opened up as a prison once again. And unbelievably, it only closed in 2004. So less than 20 years ago, we had uh, convicts and joyriders walking around these areas. And of course, there was many people that just lived out there too, didn't they? Spike was a place where people lived for many, many, many years. Yeah, you've got that big history with the prison and the fort, but you've got a much softer side to the island. Uh, you know, you hear wonderful stories about people who are oblivious to what was going on in the fort. And all they remember is growing up in an island paradise where they could enjoy their childhood and they were safe. And uh, a wonderful community spirit went on here for over 200 years. Oh, it's an incredible trip. If people haven't made it, they're so lucky if they're going for the very first time. So it's best to book online then, would you think? Absolutely, yeah. Again, like any ferry or plane, you know, the, the seats can uh, fill up, so we do advise advance booking. Okay, and how would one do that? Have you a website? Uh, we are indeed, spikeislandcork.ie. Okay, good stuff. Listen, great to chat with you, John. Thank you so much for taking the call. I'm going to give away a couple of family passes now. Appreciate your input this summertime. Thank you.
John Crotty, manager of Spike Island. We have family passes to give away right now. Again, if you want to go, you're not lucky enough to win some of them, then you need to book in advance. But you will really and truly love it. It's a great family day out. Not just family. I'm not saying only family, but you will have a fabulous time out there. It's just amazing um, from top to tail. So get dialing for that now. We'll open the phone lines 0818 104 106. My sincerest apologies to Fanula, uh, whose grandparents lived on Spike. I hope I have an opportunity to chat with her on it in the morning. But we'll park it there for now. A lot of unfinished business. We'll pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Neil Prendeville, the voice of Cork. Weekdays 9 to 12. Cork's Red FM.